Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. Sorry, my computer was being a gigantic piece of shit, so I had to smack it around a little bit. It was uh, clearly taking notes off of your basement, which was flooding the other day I saw. <laughs> yeah. Dude, what was that all about? I was going to say, speaking of which, what the fuck? So, the back room of my house is an addition, and they had to cut, they had to cut a piece out of the foundation to run ductwork through it. And they sprayed, like, that shit in it that, like, you spray it in and it expands and it gets, like, super hard. And part of that has broken off. So when we get a monsoon, like we did on Friday, a bunch of water can build up by my back porch. And it just drains right into where that uh, broken uh, bullshit is. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah, Have I mean, it, about it looks. It? What's that? Have you thought about just capturing it and having an indoor pool? Because there was enough water coming into your house to make that plausible. <laughs> well, I know. <laughs> Trust me, it smells in. smells awesome and musty down in my down where I'm recording right now. I mean, no, no joke. It looked like you live with some kind of pissed off Japanese water ghost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's great. I love owning the house. Everybody should own a house. It's fucking terrible. I'll don't be, ever do it. I'll be buying one in another year, probably. Don't, don't do it. Buy a condo. Uh, make sure, make sure the, the somebody didn't cut a hole in the foundation. Yeah. Right. <sighs> now, no, something I just, I, I, just wish I, was, I just wish I was like one of these home improvement TV show hosts where... You know, I can walk into a, a realtor's whole pitch and be like, okay, well, I agree with you there, but that's clearly been redone, and now this is wrong, and that's wrong, and I'll have to fix this and know what i got to do. I just wish yeah. I was more informed. No. It's, uh, it's, it's a problem I knew I had. I just hadn't got around to fixing it yet because it hasn't been a huge problem. But then when you get dumped on by, like, like I said, a fucking monsoon... Kind of makes you realize you need to do it sooner than rather than later. Yeah. So. What are you doing, Tony? Uh, I'm driving on the highway, driving to Cleveland, baby. Send him away plan. Oh. Well, I meant more immediately. What are you doing? We're getting a buzzing, weird buzzing noise from you. Um. It's fine now. Well, I'm driving. So, you know, unfortunately, you're going to get road noise. Yeah, it sounded like you were going over, like, those uh, 
the the shoulder strips on the road? There was a bunch of bumps in the lane, so I just switched over to the other lane, and of course now that lane is cleared. Um, so, yeah, hopefully it'll be a pretty smooth sail from here on out. We'll see. Good times. Uh, well, I'm sure everybody enjoyed our talk about my flooded basement <laughs> and how much it sucks owning a house. Don't ever do it again. <laughs> I don't know. It's always entertaining to hear about other people's suffering. Yeah, especially when it's your own. Motherfucker. <laughs> hey, you're supposed to be in a bad mood for this uh, this week's show. It's an in-memoriam uh, show. So. Uh, hey, we, we've been doing way too many of these lately. I know. Why, did you do one for Eddie Money? No. <laughs> we, did one, we did one for Rugger Hauer. No. We did a whole month for Rugger Hour. You clearly don't understand the importance to rock and roll that is two tickets to paradise. Yeah, but that's, that's <laughs> kind of not what our show's about. So <laughs> I don't know how we can make that into a show. We could do Maybe horror. We could do horror musicals, I guess. Right, do a, a, a month of shows where two tickets to paradise are on the uh, soundtrack to the movies. <laughs> I'm sure we could find that. Uh, there you go. Uh, so those sexy tones you're hearing is uh, filmmaker, a friend of the show, Tony Wash, who uh, had to sit in because we were doing a in memoriam episode for Sid Haig, who sadly passed away. But uh, 80 years old. That was a pretty good run, though. I hope I live to be 80. I'm expecting to, to bite it within the next week, so... Well, make sure you post this show first. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was going to say, that's pretty, that's pretty morbid of you to say. Oh, my God, it was a joke. It's all right. Yeah. <laughs> Again, no, the rest of us don't know how to edit, so. <laughs> no, you're really a positive thinker right now, Brian. That's good. Yeah, exactly. Well, you hear all my house woes. I mean, come on. Yeah. Hey, you had a waterfall in your basement. That was pretty cool. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> you should come over and sit under it. And patch it with my expanding stuff that gets hard. Oh, gross. <laughs> I mean, that's how you described it, so I figured, you know. <sighs> so, Tony, <laughs> we, we invited you on this episode because you've actually worked with Sid Haig before. And I figured uh, you might want to tell us how you worked with them and uh, share some uh, fond memories of Sid Hay. Yeah, I uh, did was the star of a grindhouse movie called High in the Hog that I directed back in 2012. It just came out this year, uh, back in the spring. Um, and uh, Sid plays Big Daddy, who's the patriarch of this this uh, kind of ragtag family uh, similar to Charles Manson only he's not a psychopathic killer he's just kind of an older farmer who kind of takes thin girls and, and wayward guys that are coming from different walks of life and and you know he kind of takes them in and helps them rehabilitate get, get the drugs out of the system and stuff but at the same time in order to make ends meet, he's uh, growing weed um, on his farm on the property to help pay the bills. And uh, 
know, as the movie progresses, the government kind of tries to come in and take control, and there's all sorts of craziness that ensues. Um, movie's also got Joe Estevez and uh, the late Robert Sadar as well. Um, so at least Sid was able to see the movie. Sadly, Robert I got, never got to see it before it was finished. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, Sid was a hell of a guy. I mean, he, he was he was like an uncle to me. You know, I for the longest time before my phone took a, a drop and crapped out, I had an awesome voicemail saved from him when he called me on my birthday. This was probably four years ago now. You know, he's just being Sid Egg, calling me and wishing me happy birthday, but in a Sid Egg way, with all of his little quips and stuff. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've kind of talked about it a bit on social media, and I was on a podcast on Tuesday night and uh, was talking a bit about him. And it's, uh, it, it is sad that he's, that he's passed. Um, I hope that he's in a better place, and I hope that he's resting peacefully and that he's still rocking out because dude was a badass and uh, was one of the nicest people I've met in the industry. And I've said it a handful of times, and I'll say it again. The, the fact that he was he was as complimentary of the people around him when they when they earned the respect that he gave. Um, you, you really felt good about it, you know. Um, we When we started shooting High on the Hog, it was a very ragtag production. You know, a lot of the crew members had never done anything of that magnitude. And um, and there wasn't a lot, of, uh, a lot of organization and whatnot. And so Sid really kind of said, you know what? It's going to take some experience to to get this done right and and he he stood up and kind of said you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna take a, a step in the next direction and, and i'm gonna be more than just an actor in this movie you know and and i'm gonna actually produce it as well and and went so far as to when he finished his 11 days of shooting the movie playing the character of big daddy he stayed around on set for an extra week and was essentially like my line producer, kind of slash unit production manager, um, even though we had another UPM at the, at the time, um, you know, who was a really good UPM. His name was Sam Carmichael. Um, and halfway through shooting on like day 10 is when Sam came in and Anthony Cabral, who was my first AD, he and his second AD, Ryan Gregory, came in and just like totally revamped our production and you know a lot of people who produce movies they think okay well we need a really nice camera and we need a big named actor and uh and and you know and those are the major things that they they pay attention to but a lot of times people don't pay attention to how important the organization of a set is and uh you know sid amongst a, a number of the rest of us kind of noticed that there were issues and we were rolling with the punches as best as we could, but when push came to shove, a handful of people stood up and said, "We're gonna, we're gonna take this to the next level and, and take on additional responsibility and finish the movie." And we did, and and it was a really great experience. We became a family, and um, I, I say it all the time: shooting high on the hog from August to September of 2012 will go down as some of the best film experiences of my 15 years. 
of making movies. It was my second feature at the time. I've done four now altogether, and uh, and it it was shooting. It was easily my favorite experience of being on set ever. Um, we we had a lot of fun, and as stressful as it sometimes was, we had a blast. And Sid was a big part of that. You know, he he had a lot of great stories and. Um, was just very enthusiastic and never once was like, well, I'm a big actor and I have a reputation and, and you guys don't know what you're doing. He never belittled anybody. He never treated anybody with disrespect or gave someone a hard time because they weren't working hard enough or didn't know what they were doing. Um, he was always willing to help and was funny as fuck. I mean, he was just a funny dude. <laughs> So how did you end up directing this movie? Because that's kind of a, kind of an interesting story of how you got thrown into it. And then it seems like Sid was, uh, after working with you for a little bit, kind of kind of uh, kind of knew you needed needed some help in a way that yeah he saw that you you could handle doing all this stuff, and obviously he stepped in to try to make your job a little bit easier. Well. Um so at the time, we, I had done It's My Party, I'll Die If I Want To. And uh, and then the, the big thing that really helped, I guess, Scotchworthy's reputation was uh, A Chance in Hell, which was my World War II Nazi zombie film. And a lot of people were really impressed by the production value that that 35-minute film had. And so the producer of High on the Hog, this, this lady who was an actress, and was kind of spending some time doing some producing. Um, she, at the time, had been an actress involved in High on the Hog when it was originally going to be shot in, like, maybe 2010 or somewhere around there, 2011. And uh, and things fell apart for one reason or another. This was before I was involved. And after maybe a handful of months of kind of everything being disbanded, she reached out to the executive producer and said, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in, in getting this project back up and running again. I will produce it if you're willing to give me one of the starring roles in the film and if you're willing to, you know, trust that I can do that. And so he said, okay, well, go ahead. And so she started orchestrating everything, and, and I have to give her credit. She organized a wonderful crew, and she built the cast, and she got us locations and, and got us to the point where we were ready to go to shoot it. And um, I got contacted with Jason Kane, who's my effects supervisor, who I've worked together for a decade now. And um, we were hired to do the, the practical special effects for High on the Hog, which was like gunshot wounds and there's a, a head being decapitated by a fire axe, that type of stuff. And so we were hired to do that. And now come, I'd say like May of 2012, I start getting phone calls from this female producer, and we're sitting there for an hour at a time on these phone calls talking about the do's and don'ts of producing and the do's and don'ts of directing and pre-production. And after the third phone call, I just kind of was like, you know, saying to myself, I'm like, this is bullshit. Like, I've, I've been doing all this consultation work and at this point, I'm your special effects coordinator. I'm not even a department head right now. And you're asking me all these questions like I'm supposed to be your producer. And so I just kind of said to her quite blatantly, I'm like, you know, at this point, you've had 
three conversations with me, of which I've given you a lot of pertinent information on how to run your movie better, am I going to get an associate producer credit? Am I going to get some back-end points, some ownership to this film? Or are you, like, asking me to direct your movie? And she kind of just said, you know, to be honest, I'm, I think I want you to direct the movie. Um, she wasn't very happy with the current director. Apparently, it was somebody connected to the TV show Weeds. And I think that because Hot Hog is also a weed movie, mm -hmm. I think that they thought that this guy would would understand the, the topic or something. And clearly, he had experience in, in the industry. But I think he was more on the producing end as opposed to the directing end on Weeds. And ultimately, she just said, you know, he's not talking to the department heads at all. He's focusing a lot on, I guess he had just gotten married and was focusing a lot on his personal life. And so she just was unhappy because she felt like there was no progress being completed. And so I said, well, shit. I mean, at the at the time, Joe Estevez and Robert Zadar were officially attached. And I had heard a lot of bad things about working with both of them. Um, I had worked with a gentleman in the past who had directed um, one of them. I'm, I'm not saying any names. Um, and, uh, and had a, kind of a tough experience. And uh, and just had heard from other independent filmmakers that both of those guys liked to, to have a good time and were kind of tough to wrangle. Um, so I was a little apprehensive to have to work with, with those personalities. But I was excited at the prospect of not only directing another feature that I wasn't paying for, you know, because <laughs> I spent my life savings producing it's my party and I'll die if I want to so I didn't have money to make another movie and and at that point they were talking very seriously to Sid Haig and so I was really excited about the prospect of working with his, him um, at the time I'd worked with Tom Savini on it's my party but other than that I had no experience with big named actors I had done special effects on a movie called Dismal which starred Bill O'Bearst Jr., who's uh, a pretty well-known independent actor, and um, he was awesome to work with, too, but nobody of the caliber uh, of, of reputation that Sid Egg is in the industry and the genre. So uh, I, I didn't love the script. I didn't love the fact that clearly there was not a lot of organization at the time because they were talking to their effects coordinator about producing. Um but I wanted to do it, you know? Um, and so, so she talked to the executive producer. He agreed that if that's what was best for the movie to do it. And cause he didn't know me from Adam and, uh, they took a gamble on me and brought me on board as the director. They officially signed Sid. Um, I started working with all the department heads and talking to the cast. And, uh, then, you know, two and a half months later, mid-August, I drive out to uh, Galena, Illinois, and we spend the next six weeks out there shooting the movie together. Um, we all lived in a small roadside motel, very reminiscent of Bates Motel, um, called the Marcot Inn, and uh, the Marcots were this husband and wife, probably in their early 50s who ran this little motel outside of Galena, Illinois, which is a nice little picturesque town in kind of the Mississippi River Valley. And um, 
you know, they were just super sweet, very helpful, very interested in being a part of the movie. And, uh, and we all became a family. It was a lot of fun living together. And, you know, at first it was tough. Um, I, I remember the first week of shooting, our breakfast consisted of tang uh, with those little those little cups that, like, kids use in the bathroom, you know, those little paper cups. <laughs> yeah. Um, those were the cups that we had to drink our tang from. And, uh, and like, bagels, cold bagels with cream cheese. And then at, at one point or another, they started springing for, um, there was a restaurant in town that was open early enough for breakfast, but they didn't have breakfast food. So they were giving us sandwiches, and it was, like, turkey melts and, like, strombolis and shit like that. And it's, like, you know, <laughs> it's, it's 6 a.m., the sun's coming up, and I'm eating a 30-minute-old 30, a 30 you know, turkey melt that's been sitting in this styrofoam clamshell, sweating on itself and getting soggy, you know, while I'm sitting on, on the side of the road, you know. And, and so it's just, it was very, it was very tough at first. Um, and, and again, a lot of people didn't have a lot of experience, but we, we did our best and we got some really great footage. And then a week into shooting, um, some stuff ended up going down and ultimately, uh, we ended up losing the one producer, the, the, the female producer. And, uh, so at that point, that's when Sid and, uh, Sid and myself and Robert Patrick Stern, who's been my my constant collaborator at this point and uh one of the producers bob farster we all kind of stepped up and said you know let's we see the potential here and we don't want to stop you know a week into it and go home so let's all if, if we're all going to become producers now we'll finish the movie and so we all reworked our contract and uh and and ended up becoming producers kind of field promoted like in the military and um you know it was, it was pretty awesome we did uh we we all went to you know like there, there was a lot of issues with the production and stuff and so it ended up walking around or going to all these different locations with this producer bob and met with the owners of these buildings and these houses it was just like hey you may know me from these rob zombie films i'm Sid egg and <laughs> You know, we know you're kind of apprehensive to let us shoot in your house or your, your building, but here's why you should let us. You can trust us. And I'm Sid Haig, and you can trust me. And so he, he really put his, his, his reputation on the line, and, and it was really great to see him step up like that. And it was the fifth day of shooting when all this change happened, and so it was like all in the morning. We didn't have call time until like 4 or 5 in the afternoon. So we got the set, and Sid and I stood up in front of the entire cast and crew, and we just said, here's what happened, here's what's going to happen from here on out, but in order to do this, we need all you guys to be a part of it, and we need to add two more days to the shoot schedule, you know, nobody's getting paid anymore, but if everybody's willing to make the sacrifice of adding two days, we get this thing done and it's going to be amazing we'll see it through to the end and everybody and we that night was like it was the start of of, of a whole new and um and and like i said we become um, and then from there 
answer. It's like, you know, Sid was just awesome. We, and am I rambling too much or is this cool? No, you're cool. You were just breaking up a little bit there for a second. But yeah. Oh, sorry. No, 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 you're fine. I am, dri- I am driving through Ohio after all. So I'm, <laughs> I'm actually driving to Cinema Wasteland. I'm really excited to be heading to Cinema Wasteland. I love this convention. Um, but I'm really excited to be heading there. Meredith, my fiance, and I are heading out that way and are looking forward to seeing some friends and hopefully sell some mm. movies and merchandise and introduce our stuff to some new fans. But anyways... Um, <laughs> So, you know, it, it was uh, it was one of those things where Sid and I and some of the other main actors, we would be talking, obviously, while we're on set, and, and we would have these, these cast and, and, you know, these creative meetings where we would talk about the script and about the scene progression and everything, and everybody, you know, was kind of like, all right, you know, I mean, we're doing this, and this makes sense, and we're doing this, but there were still some issues with stuff, and after the 10th day of shooting... Even I was kind of like, you know, I just, I felt like the, the way everybody was portraying their characters and, and the way that everything was kind of translating the film from the script, it's like it, it was taking on a little more of a serious dramatic role and wasn't so dirty, grungy, grindhouse, you know, the whole time. Like there was definitely those aspects of dirty, but, but at the core... It's a story about family and about integrity and trust and love and and being there for your for the people you care about. And so all of us, Sid and Jesse and Fiona and, and Sierra and Lenore, uh, not Lenore, that's her character name, um, uh, you know, Brenda, you know, we all were talking a lot about how we can, you know, work on, on just kind of like everybody wanted to change things up here and there. And the executive producer was, was really good about allowing us to, you know, he, he pretty much had the attitude of, look, guys, if you finish making the movie, you can do whatever you want. I trust you. And, you know, I think that there was a, a lot of scare after the fifth day situation. Um, and so luckily, uh, that 10th day, the, the morning of the 10th day, 10th day, it was a night shoot. And... We had a handful. We were going to shoot a big barbecue scene. You know, Big Daddy Sid's character is having this big barbecue pig roast, and so there was going to be a hundred extras on set. It was going to be the first day of our new fair, first AD being on set, organizing everything. Which talk about a trial by fire. The first day you're on set, everybody else has been working together for a week and a half, and you come in and have to orchestrate over a hundred people. That is insane. <laughs> Plus, there's a big stage with a band playing on stage with all these lights. So, you know, it was it was pretty awesome. But that morning, my my friend Jim Peterson, who um, who was a grip on the movie, um, we had to go back to the Chicago suburbs to grab a bunch of stuff for the movie. And on the ride back, this was you know a three hour car ride. So on the, the three hours there. And the three hours back, I just kind of the night before been like, you know, I just feel like there's this disconnect between what we're shooting and what the actors are doing versus what is on paper. And so I'd really love to rework some of these scenes so that this all makes more sense, you know, and so that it, it plays better. There's more, uh, it's more of a congruent, a congruent story, you know. Um, 
And so in those six hours in the truck with Jim, I, I had gotten approval from the executive producer and, and I reworked a bunch of the script and, and Jim was a really good sounding board for the ideas that I had. And then we got back to the set about an hour and a half, two hours before we were going to start shooting this huge barbecue scene. And um, I sat down with Sid and all the rest of the cast around a couple picnic tables and we had a meeting. And, you know, all these, these hundreds of people were all milling about. The, the pig was there being roasted and people were eating it. And, you know, they, they were setting up the stage with the band and doing sound checks and everything. And it was an awesome scene to come back to when for the nine previous days we've been shooting these smaller scenes with four or five actors at the most and that's it, you know. And then we sat down and we all talked and I said, here's my thoughts. This scene goes into this scene, and this is the new scene, and we'll shoot this and do this, and here's where your character does this, and this and this, and everybody was like, that's amazing, this is great. And Sid's like, Tony, you're our captain, you lead us in that direction, and, and, and seriously, and everybody was just like, let's do it. And from that day on, we all had a goal in mind, and, and we just did it, and it was it was really, really great. Um, and I'm going to miss them. Yeah. Really going to miss no, that's awesome. Yeah, I just you've told me that story before, and I definitely wanted people to hear how Sid obviously saw what you were doing, and you're trying to make the movie better, and it was just because I mean Sid shot like all these low budget films like all the time. He easily could have just been like, "Well, stuff's getting fucked up. I'm going home. I'll do another one of these in a couple months, and then you know this will be a memory." But you know. He, <laughs> what is that? That's from you. No, that was oh, mine. That Sorry. Oh, uh, that was Doug. I went to check something on my phone, and apparently, I left my maps function <laughs> open last time I turned my phone off, so it just started trying to give me directions to somewhere. <laughs> Uh, the Lion's Den Porno Shop is <laughs> you, are, you have just arrived at Adult Bookstore. <laughs> uh, yeah, but like I said, I would heard that story before, and I definitely wanted people to hear how Sid obviously saw something that, you know, he could have just up and left and not really cared about it, but he obviously saw there was something there and definitely wanted to work with you after seeing, working with you a little bit. So I just think it's awesome that he took the time to step up and try to help the movie as best he could and you know basically just just recognize you as like yeah you're in charge so I'm gonna follow you so then everybody else sort of jumped in line which is fantastic yeah and, and that's what I that's what I really love is that he he basically said you know I trust you let's finish making this thing and even if you even if you want to go at home necessarily and quit the movie he could have just as easily rolled with the punches and said, well, I'm here to do my job. I'm getting paid this much money for 11 days worth of shooting. I've got a cute enough little hotel room to stay in, and I'll just muscle through it and, and earn my paycheck and go home because this isn't the first and it's certainly not going to be the last movie that I do that, that a handful of people are going to see that I got paid on, and that's that. But mm. instead, he basically said... Um, he said, no, you know what, I see the potential in this. I, and he believed in the idea. He really liked what High on the Hog was. 
Um, you know, and so I think that he was, uh, oh, I'm looking at directions here, 231A. All right. Um, so, you know, he was he was really eager to, I think, see it to see us, you know, finish it as well. Um, and it's not like this all happened on the first day where he was like, well, I don't know any of you, so I'm just going to say enough's enough and move on. At that mm-hmm. point, he saw that the people who were involved wanted to, to, to make this work and wanted to finish it, and so he was willing to, you know, go through the motions and, and finish it too, and we were all in the trenches at that point. Um, but, uh, but and that was evident, you know, I said this the other day on the podcast that I was on, that, you know, when he had he had done an interview with, with a, a magazine, um, I think it was in Girls and Corpses, and he had mm-hmm. done an interview about uh, High on the Hog and was talking about, uh, and it wasn't about High on the Hog specifically, it was just about working in, in independent cinema for 50 years, and um, he had basically said that, uh, you know, there's there's good experiences and bad experiences. And he said a lot of times, you know, because it's so easy to make an independent film nowadays, a lot of people just kind of grab a cheap camera and make a movie, and they don't really know what they're doing. But sometimes you come across people who know what they're doing. And then he said, like Tony Wash and this movie I worked on, High on the Hog, and you know, it's like I didn't I didn't ask him to do that. He didn't get paid to say my name. He did that because he truly respected me. And I can sit here and sound like I'm bragging about it, but that's one of the highlights of my career is when I read that article, not even knowing he had said that, and halfway through the interview, I see my name mentioned by him. And it's like, you know, that that's the stuff that really made him so important to me and, and made him such a wonderful person that that I'm, I am going to miss him. And this, this genre is going to miss him. Um, and you could tell how, how important he was to everybody. I mean, when Prince died, when David Bowie died, when Rugger Howard died, I didn't see the outpouring from fans that I saw when Sid passed away, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Facebook was flooded with stuff. I still see people posting stuff about Sid Haig, even though it's, you know, we've been two or three weeks removed from it. Yeah, and at this point, how many people have, you know, changed their profile pic because of him and stuff like that? It's it's crazy. It's really crazy. Uh, yeah, so if people want to check that out, they can uh, look up High in the Hog, check out Tony's movies, see Sid Egg and Robert Zadar and uh, Joe Estevez. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's out there. Um and uh, I'm trying. I'm trying to figure out where to go here. Hold on. Okay. Um, so, and, and you know, there, there, there was a lot of other you know, stories and stuff from the set. Um, and you know, even afterwards, when we, I remember Jason and and uh, Christina and I used to go to conventions, and we would see sit there, and we'd hang out with him and and stuff like that. Um, but uh, you know, and and just even being on set with Sid was pretty awesome we um there there was one time in particular and i've told this story a dozen times because it'll go down as one of my favorite experiences for making a movie um we had uh we had had a pretty tough day 
um, on one of the days after, you know, everything had gone down. So it was maybe like the seventh or eighth day at this point. And um, after we were done shooting, everybody was just kind of like, you could tell everybody was a little worn out. So I was just kind of like, I walked up to Sid, and I was, he was getting changed out of his overalls that he wears in the movie. And I'm just like, hey, Sid. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, you want to go grab a beer? And he goes, he just looks at me and he goes, fuck yeah. And literally just said, fuck yeah to me. And so him and the guy that was kind of handling him, you know, helping him out, the three of us went to this little hole-in-the-wall bar in Elizabeth, Illinois, and we drank cans of Bush Light. Yeah. And, um, oh, yeah, was it? But, but I mean, this is a hole-in-the-wall bar. I don't even think no, they totally. had Bud Light. Um, so we drank cans of Bush Light, and the three of us sat and laughed and bullshitted. And Sid told stories about working with Roger Corman and, you know, Pam Greer and um, just all these awesome experiences he had. He talked a lot about Spider Baby and working with Lon Chaney. And we just had a really fun time. And, and at the end of the night, when we when we were leaving the bar, we, he bought me a 12-pack of Bush-like cans and, uh, you know, and said, here, take these back and, um, you know, have a good rest of the night. And, and pretty much every night from that point on, uh, I had convinced the executive producer that he needed to keep, you know, everybody happy. And the best way to do that is to feed everybody well and buy everybody beer. And so pretty much every night after we were done shooting, the whole cast and crew would come back to the motel and we would party in the parking lot of the motel till all hours of the morning. And it was, I'll never have an experience like that again. It was it was a once in a lifetime thing for me, and um, it it was pretty awesome. And, and a lot of it was thanks to Sid Egg. So again, may you rest in peace, my friend. Um, this shout out's for you. I, I miss you, buddy. Definitely. All right. Well, you brought up Spider Baby, and that's one of the movies we're going to be talking about. And I know, Doug, this is a first time watch for you, isn't that correct? Nope. No, and, uh, I've seen it once before. It's been a while, though. First time watch for me. That's what it was. Well, then, uh, Noah, why don't you uh, tell us what Spider Baby is all about? Uh, Spider Baby is about a uh, family who has a genetic disorder that causes them to regress into savage, mentally handicapped people. <laughs> slash possibly cannibals like they say cannibals a whole bunch of times but that doesn't seem to be well established mm. uh, and then in the tradition of all old black and white horror movies you have two assholes that show up to take somebody's stuff and uh, a bunch of people die yeah. yeah that's pretty much it yeah that's pretty much it well for a first time watch what did you think uh, I, I liked it a lot I, I don't think it was as messed up as, as I had heard it had been a couple times. Mm-hmm. But I, I did think it was a really interesting movie in the fact that you can see the effect it had on a lot of later movies. Mm-hmm. Like, especially like um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and things yeah. like that. You could, you could see it, that somebody watched this movie and went, ah, I'm going to steal a bunch of this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I uh, I saw it for the first time a couple of years ago when uh, Lord Bloodrot himself had us watch it for a Drunken Zombie episode. And uh, I was blown away by the performances. I thought uh, Sid did an awesome job. The, both the girls did fantastic. 
And, uh, you know, Lon Chaney Jr., I mean, we can't. It's not like I'm going to be like, oh, he sucked. <laughs> he was fantastic. So. Uh, I wish I had seen this uh, a long time ago because I think slowly over time as I've become a grumpy old grumpy old man and becoming a little more uh, jaded mm. to some of the uh, less enlightened things that were in older movies. <laughs> this this entire movie is basically a scare piece about mentally handicapped people. I mean, that's what it is. It's like, <laughs> I mean, we can all agree to that, right? That that's exactly what this movie is. I mean, sort of, but I don't. I don't think that the filmmakers at the time were trying to send a message. I think they were just trying to. They were trying to make a weird, fucked up movie that would screw with people's brains, and I, I think that the the mental handicap in it is just a. Uh, I don't know, like a, it's just a mechanism for screwing with people. It's not necessarily that they were trying to be. They weren't trying to to tell you that mentally handicapped people should be not trusted they were just I don't know I know you're saying that but I, I'm a firm believer in it doesn't take intention to make something that's tone deaf and ignorant and, <laughs> and this definitely falls into the category of possibly tone deaf and ignorant I, I will, it's still a good movie and I forgive it because it's old I, I'm going to defend the movie this much I'm not gonna like. I'm not gonna say it's perfect when it comes to its handling of uh, mental health issues, but they do make it a point to distinguish the characters in the film from, you know, they they use the term retarded people, which again not a, not an appropriate term in today's day and age, but at the time I think was more socially acceptable. And they say like, oh, these kids aren't just like normal retarded kids. They are. Well, it's the cool. technically it's the medical term. Okay. Anyways, like the, the point is they, they make it a point to differentiate the characters in the film. They make it a point to say that it's a special disease that only applies to this one family. Mm-hmm. I found it really interesting that they said like, oh, the disease makes you – after you turn like 10, you regress back into a child. And I'm like, so does that presuppose that they think all babies are murderers? Is that what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> they think, they think if, if, you were, if you were a baby and you had full strength, you would just immediately kill the people around you. <laughs> just, once, once again, did you guys ever think it's weird that as, as they're describing the disease, they're always like, oh, it's this degenerative thing and it causes this and this and this. And then yeah. later on. They're like it causes this and this and this, and always at the end they go in cannibalism. They like sneak it in <laughs> under their breath at the end somehow. <laughs> yeah, just also cannibals. Keep in mind this was 1967, and I'm not sure that discussing cannibalism openly in your movies was as socially acceptable as it is today. <laughs> when was uh, when mean, was when was Cannibal Holocaust man? That was the 80s, wasn't it? Yeah, it was 1980. Okay, so. never mind that. It took it. Keep in mind that this movie came out. I, I always think of Night of the Living Dead as being the major turning point in horror, where it became mm-hmm. okay to just show gore and violence. That was a movie that just did that, and somehow managed to get wide wide appeal. And so I think this is coming before that. It's kind of a stepping stone toward you know it's it's not a '50s horror film where everything is kind of straightforward and. It has those psychological elements that come in later movies, but they weren't ready yet to go full on. You know, when somebody is killed in this movie, it tends to happen off off screen, and mm. you know, like you say, the cannibalism's all implied because that's as far as they were willing to go. 
it is yeah. still a very messed up movie, and I think much like, like I think Noah's comparison to uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is very apt mm-hmm. because it's a lot of yes, okay, storyline wise, it's this messed up family with one patriarch who's seemingly somewhat normal who tries to keep a keep everybody in trouble, and one murderous family member. Like plot wise, it's almost an exact match for Texas Chainsaw Massacre, <laughs> um, but. I also think that the filmmaking technique of not showing the violence and letting ha- having everything be fucked up and having th- all this weird shit happen and then having the violence happen just off screen so that the viewer whose brain is already all fucked up gets to fill that in for themselves, mm-hmm. which I think it, I think it's used really well in this movie. And it's definitely I think that's something Texas Chance of Massacre learned from movies like this that came before it which was if you show the violence then you only get a certain level of violence if you mess with people's brains put them off kilter make it so they're not thinking straight and then imply the violence what your brain fills in is going to be way worse than anything they could possibly show you it's really interesting to me that this movie is using that type of a technique as far back as 1967. And, you know, like they're still using actors that were famous in the 40s and 50s, but they're using those modern day techniques. I think it's really kind of fascinating. I I think it would be interesting to find out. I, I, I want to know if so there's a couple like weird tonal shifts that happen in the movie. I don't I don't know if you guys noticed that, too, but I want to know if it's on purpose or not. Or if it's just a, a product of the fact of they're kind of in that transition period where, you know, we're, we're grinding our way from 50s movies to 70s movies, which are two, two very fucking different things Yeah, in, in the 60s is that weird transitional period. But, I mean, this movie starts with a very... That opening theme song is very 1950s. Well, that's what I'm saying, oh, and it's like it's like the delivery guy driving in his truck, and he's like, "Hey, do you guys know where this family is?" It's very Leave It to Beaver, and you go from that to Crazy Spider Girl cutting that guy's ears off, and you're like, "What in the fuck just happened?" <laughs> well, that, that first moment, that like that first opening kill of that poor delivery guy on his little three wheeled bike, was definitely, I think, set up on purpose to just make like they make you think you're in like an old Universal classic horror movie where things don't really go that bad for most of the time, you know, where everybody's just having a good time. You could easily edit Abbott and Costello into that opening scene, and yet all of a sudden it turns into this grindhouse movie where a girl is like throwing a fake spider net over the guy's head and stabbing him to death. Well, that I, the delivery guy's uh, Mantan Moreland, and he... Uh, he used to play a lot of those stereotypical black characters. And so he'd be like, oh, golly gee. And like, you know, get all scared and his eyes would get all big. And, you know, he probably was like running and his hat would stay hovering in the air or something, you know, some crazy <laughs> nonsense. So, I mean, yeah, I feel like that's almost like on purpose. Like, OK, we're going to get the crazy zany guy and then we'll have that that crazy opening theme. And then he comes in and, oh, my God, stabbed in the face. And then go about your movie. I can't even imagine how a 1967 audience would react to that either. Because, you know, to us, this is relatively tame from a gore and violence perspective. But to them, that was pretty pretty horrific, what they had to witness. (laughs) 
Tony, what did you think of Spider Baby? I, I've always liked Spider Baby. I, the first time I saw it when I was when I was going to Savini School, mm-hmm. it was probably like 2004, 2005, and my roommate Steve Weimer and I um, would we used to just put movies on and, and sculpt and uh, in our living room, and so we watched that, and I just that movie's hysterical. There's some some weird shit in it. The characters are all really funny. There's like that that part where the guy's in the basement. And he's like getting attacked, and he's like, "That wouldn't be prudent." And I'm like, "Who, who says that when they're getting murdered?" <laughs> um, so for a long time, that was like a catchphrase between Steve and I, and uh, and then obviously, you know, Sid is really cool in it. You know, it's uh, mm-hmm. it, it, like like you guys were saying earlier, it's very much so a precursor to movies like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and. And stuff like that. I mean, very much so even House of a Thousand Corpses, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I love I wonder how it was pitched to Sid, like, okay, you're a grown man, but you're going to act like a baby. (laughs) He's probably like, fuck right, let's do it. All right. This is the part where you murder and eat a cat. Your motivation is... Uh, you're mentally handicapped and you want to murder and eat a cat. <laughs> yeah. And then pass it off as a rabbit to everybody else. I I think the, the funnier thing is the salad. I mean, it's clearly like just like clippings from an overgrown, yep. like brown front yard. You know, it's just grass and tumbleweed <laughs> and they're like eating it. I like how the the one guy who's uh, what's his name Peter the guy that's actually related to him he's trying like really earnestly like he's like okay I'll try some of your front yard salad or whatever and <laughs> all this stuff trying to be like really nice and his bitch of a wife's just like fuck no I like whenever he reaches for the weird bug stuff and he's like oh no you don't want to eat that. <laughs> and you know it's got to be bad whenever he's letting them eat cat and yard clippings but that bowl that's the bowl too far <laughs> you definitely don't want that that whole dinner scene is fantastic and just like the the juxtaposition of like because the 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 non-crazy characters, the the pe- all the people that show up at the house trying to uh, take possession of it, they all seem like they're from a '50s movie, and they're all reacting in that kind of stage play acting type way. <laughs> it's like I don't know how you play this scene with that style of acting. They don't <laughs> meld well together, and they they all look so uncomfortable. <laughs> It's fantastic. I love it. And then the lady just pulls chips out of her purse, and she's like, I'll be all right. I'll just eat these. <laughs> I was, was going to say, speak, speaking of the actresses, the the bitchy one, yeah. uh, once they got her in her little uh, her little negligee thing that she spends half the movie in, that's, that's some good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that whole thing was super- fucking weird where she's like in this creepy old house surrounded by potentially murderous people she's like oh, i'll just try on this lingerie while i'm alone in this room what was her goal there <laughs> yeah it was, once again it's that weird transitional thing whenever you're watching a movie from this period you're not expecting it to be sexy like that <laughs> like later yes and earlier yes 
but not not in this particular area. Yeah, I read Jack Hill took her to Fredericks of Hollywood and let her pick out whatever she wanted for her for that scene. Nice. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> uh. Well, that's the thing is, I mean, if you look at what he did as a director after this, it's all yeah. like exploitation stuff with like Pam Greer and all that. And he worked to sit a lot more, and it's just like, yeah, he. This was clearly him being held back by a, a system that wasn't ready for his style of filmmaking yet. <laughs> well, you can you can uh, suggest cannibalism, but we're not going to see that on screen. No, but I mean, the idea that when they uh, they say that what was Sid's uh, character's name? Is it Frank or something? And they're like, oh, the yeah, we're all vegetarian. Oh, Ralph, yeah. They're like, we, we all, uh, we're all vegetarians here, but Ralph, he can eat whatever he catches. And then it's just minutes later when he starts chasing that lady, and you're like, yes, <laughs> he's going to eat her. That's great. <laughs> well, then there's the weird insinuation that he does stuff to her. Yeah. And then yeah, she, that's ends what up, I was thinking too. she ends up liking it, I guess. Yeah, that guy. What does he do? <laughs> Well, he, like, tackles her out in the yard, and then... And it's like, they're like, oh, he's playing with her again or something, and it's off camera. And then later, she's just like... (laughs) Yeah, yes, they're playing playing with some balls. Playing with some balls and stuff, yeah. (laughs) Some shuffleboard. Yeah, it's super weird how much she's, like, later looking for him, like... (laughs) <laughs> well, I would say it seems like she might have been into it up until the point where she finds him and then uh, <laughs> kind of goes at his eyes. <laughs> yeah, but then she gets thrown into the pit with, with I don't know, all the old relatives, and then we never see her again. That wouldn't be prudent. <laughs> <laughs> does, yeah. does anybody else find the most disturbing part of the movie uh, – when uh, Cheney's character keeps telling What's-Her-Face that she can't play Spider anymore. And he has to keep doing it. And he's like, I keep telling you, you can't play that game. And you're like, how many times has she played the game? <laughs> how many times? Because he was like, you remember when those neighbor children got to the yard? And everybody was very upset. And I was like, oh, fuck. Just running around throwing spider webs on people and then fucking stabbing them in their neck. Yeah. Everybody has to have a hobby. <laughs> Cutting ears off like the dude in uh, an American Horror Story. Right. Exactly. Yeah, if anybody's been watching American Horror Story this season, they're doing a 1984 slasher movie and the dude keeps collecting people's ears. Yeah, don't tell me. We're, we're probably going to watch the, the newest one from yesterday tonight. I DVR'd no. it. I we haven't watched it yet either. So. Oh, okay. Um, anybody else have some favorite scenes? I think everything involving the three kids, like yeah, like Ralph and the two girls. I, I love all of their interactions. I love I love when Ralph goes and gets dressed up all nice for dinner and comes down <laughs> in that ridiculous outfit. <laughs> and his like uncle guy is just trying to like he's just trying so hard to just be the nice relative and be like, Oh look, he dressed up nice for us, guys. <laughs> he's just trying so hard and you're just like, Oh, that guy wants to eat you. <laughs> I was gonna say pretty much all the stuff with Ralph in the dumbwaiter. 
Yeah, why is he always in the dumbwaiter? They never address it. It's just how he gets around the house. I, I don't know, but I that, like so the first time he comes down and stuff, that's that's fine and it's all good. But then there's the one point where he just kind of goes by on the dumbwaiter, <laughs> just making his weird faces. The one time he goes by in the background of dumbwaiter, he's like holding the one lady hostage. To the other people are in the <laughs> foreground, and he's just in the background, like holding her mouth so she can't scream for help. <laughs> It's funny to me that like that that passed for for like suspense in the sixties. You know what I mean? And like like people people thought that was believable that you could put your hand over a person's mouth and no one would hear them trying to get help. Nor would they struggle at all and try and get free. Well, Where's you that? know. Apparently Ralph is is uh is wanted by the ladies, so maybe uh Maybe that's why she didn't fight him off. Yeah. Everybody's into something different. You don't judge her. <laughs> uh, so how we feel uh, when when Lon Chaney blows, blows everybody up at the end? I thought that was a fantastic ending for this because as I was rewatching it, I'm sitting here thinking, like, I don't remember how this ends. And it's been a while since I've seen it. And I'm like where the fuck are they going to go with this? Like, how do you end this movie? Like, there's no happily ever after. And what a, like, what a great idea to just have the, eh, what if I just kill everybody? <laughs> that's, that's a good way around it. And we had to check off dynamite earlier in the movie when they had to get, when they got stuck in traffic due to the blasting, we knew it was there. So we're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> is it, I mean, is it's it, oddly is it really nihilistic. The, Sorry. The, uh, sorry, the end with where Uncle Pete's talking and, you know, he's got the daughter now and all that. Yeah. Doesn't that very much remind you of, like, the uh, wonderful world of Disney stuff? Yep. <laughs> or, like, Christopher Robin <laughs> talking <laughs> in the Winnie the Pooh stuff? <laughs> oh, yeah. And again, that's clearly intentional. The, the, the bookends being so... I don't know, like so family friendly kind of thing of having just this guy with like a book that he's reading to the audience. Like, want to hear about this disease that my family once suffered from? Like, <laughs> it's it's very strange, but it's it's clearly again, it's trying to throw audiences off. It's trying to make you think you're in a different world than you are when you have to watch this movie. <laughs> uh, so I'm gonna assume recommend from everybody. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I, honestly, like, I, I love this movie, and I, I don't know why I haven't seen it a thousand times. Like, I'll, I definitely want to make a point to watch it more because mm -hmm. it's, it's so good. The performances are – it's that weird combination of horrific and fun that is very hard to find. And these types of performances from a movie from this era are very hard find as well so it's a nice combination to see Lon Chaney acting again alongside these kids who are doing such creepy weird things all movie is really fun yeah so apparently he had like that little monologue you know and uh apparently after he like did it the entire like crew like burst out into applause and everybody was like crying and stuff nice well, and from what I from what I remember, and I made you know, uh, I don't remember all the details, but from what I'd heard, um, at that point, Lon was kind of a um, 
you know, I think he, that was obviously after his heyday. And I think he had a, like a drinking problem or something, if I remember correctly. And I so, think so. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was like one of those things where he was kind of washed up, but everybody still looked at him and was like, dude, you know, you're Lon fucking Chaney. You know I mean? Like mm-hmm. this is, this is like working with a God, you know, of the genre. Yeah. Um, one of the original gods of the genre. So uh, yeah. that would have been a really cool experience. And like I said, Sid spoke very highly of it all the mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you can see in the, in this movie, Lon Chaney still has it together and he's still delivering a good, solid performance, playing very much the same character he plays in everything, but that's the era he came to fame in. It was that that's what they did. Um, but like, I think his final role was only like three or four years after this. And if you ever watch that movie, like it's Dracula versus Frankenstein and you watch him in that and it's, it's genuinely sad. Like he's, he's clearly just gone off the deep end at that point. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's interesting that he's still able to act so close to the end of his career. And uh, obviously, you know, alcoholism isn't something that kicks in in a day. It's something that was probably around for a long time, but he was still mm-hmm. doing it here. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we decided to pick another uh, Sid Haig movie. Um, this one, a little bit more sci-fi. And working with uh, Roger Corman. Now, Doug, if I remember, this was a first-time watch for you. Correct? Yeah, this one is a first-time watch for me. Okay. Uh, so why don't you tell us about Galaxy of Terror? Um really simple plot um basically there's a ship that's crashed on a far off planet and a group of astronauts are sent to do a rescue and when they get there things go awry and now they live in a horror movie (laughs) Uh, it's i I mean from a plot perspective it is very basic yeah Um, But, you know, when you start put, putting together that, you know, the muscle on the team is Sid Haig and, uh, you know, some of the other performances that go on for some reason. Uh, what's her name? Jo- Joni from Happy Days is one of the <laughs> yeah, places. Yeah, psychic. Aaron Moran. Yeah. <laughs> like, what, why Robert is she... England is in it. Yeah. Robert, Robert England is actually, I think you can see, especially in the early part of the movie, you can see he's foreshadowing his character from V. Very much playing that sort of nerdy mm. scientist. Type. Definitely. Well, Doug, what did Definitely. you think of Galaxy of Terror? I have to say, I really enjoyed watching this movie. Um, I was kind of nervous going in because Noah had made some comments last week about how you and I might be mad at him for making us watch it. Um, and well, I was some, the one. Some, I was the one making everybody watch it. I yeah. was going to say, some people do not like this movie. Like, okay, it's it obviously is somebody saying, like, hey, I saw Alien, I saw Star Wars, I've seen some Star Trek. Like, we can piece together little parts from all those things and just make them into a movie, right? We don't really need to have our own ideas. But that's fine. Lots of B-movies are that. And when it came to some of the set design, especially early on, I was like, they didn't have the budget to make the sets they wanted to make. But by the time, like, when the kills start happening, the kills are great, and the tension's okay, and the acting is all good, and I'm just like, yeah, I 
I, I was just I was really surprised by how much I enjoyed, especially the kills and especially the effects during the kills. Sid Hag's death in particular really, really impressed me. Like mm. when you see that for people who haven't seen it, like he's got these weird weapons made out of crystal that he throws at things and one breaks off and like shoots into his arm and you see it move its way up the arm and it's just I think it's really well done practical effects especially considering the era this came out in and uh, yeah so he lives and dies by the crystal yeah (laughs) (laughs) and I also love the fact that when he severed his own arm to protect himself from the moving crystal, the arm came back to life and then killed him. How do you like? How do you not want to get up and stand up and cheer when you see that happen? It's fantastic. <laughs> so one of the awesome things is uh, James Cameron was a. I think he was like a second unit director on this movie, and. Uh, <laughs> So he was in charge of doing the shot where they focus on the arm and it's got, like, maggots and stuff all over it. Yeah. And apparently, like, some of the studio people or money people or somebody important was on set that day. And so, you know, they're watching him work. And then, you know, the arm's laying there. The maggots are on top of it. They're just kind of laying there and they're not really doing anything. And James Cameron goes, all right, ready? action and then the maggots start squirming all over the place and then you know they got the shot and he's like all right cut and then the maggots like stop moving again and they were like super impressed like what the fuck this dude is like amazing how the fuck did he get like maggots to move like that that's that's fantastic what they didn't know was they had ran uh electrical lines into the to the prop of the arm so when he said action, they flipped on the electricity and all the maggots were getting electrocuted. Yeah, I've heard that story. I always thought that was funny. <laughs> That's fantastic. I like that. I like that story a lot, cause, especially because it makes like the suits look like idiots. Because <laughs> they think he knows how to direct maggots. <laughs> Man, I had no idea the director of Galaxy of Terror also directed the 1972 drive-in classic Hammer, starring Fred Williamson as Hammer. (laughs) I didn't either, but now I want to go see it. I, I just think, I don't know, Galaxy of Terror is so weird. Like, I love when a movie is, like, blatant enough to be blatant, where they're like, okay, we need to put nudity in this movie. So how are we going to get a chick naked? I Rape know. Worm. Let's have her get sexually molested by a 20-foot <laughs> maggot. And then they did it. And then they went and did it. Roger Corman said, yeah, fuck it. Go do that. So then they went and they did it. Two words. Sexy tardigrade. <laughs> yeah. Here's the weirdest, the weirdest thing about that scene is like shortly after it happens, after she's – I don't know the polite way to say it, so I'll just say fuck to death by a giant space maggot. Um, then they're like, oh, I get it. All of the our worst nightmares are coming to life. And you're like, wait a minute. So that means she's worried about that in the past? <laughs> That's something that occurred to her that might happen, and she got nervous about it? You'd be <laughs> surprised what some people are scared of. <laughs> I guess. Maybe she has a sex addiction, and she's worried she's going to fuck herself to death. I... I mean, happens to the best of us. I don't know. <laughs> maybe she's worried. Maybe it's a metaphor for AIDS, Doug. Come on. 
Yeah, it's, it's I, pretty. I don't it think it's pretty weird. This movie. <laughs> it is pretty weird, but it, I don't know. It's. I always just thought that that was odd, and and like some of the set design in it is kind of weird. It's like you know who was thinking of what when they came up with all this, but like that whole the whole big pyramid's really kind of cool that they find on the planet. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's just it's it's such an interesting movie, and I like how vast it is. It's very big. You know, they like you could tell that they were trying to go balls to the wall, you know, alien ripoff as best as possible without being on the nose alien ripoff, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and it's certainly a much better film than its uh, successor a year later, Forbidden World, which was basically the director said, not the same director as Galaxy of Terror, but the director of Forbidden World said, hey, Roger. You've still got all these leftover sets from Galaxy of Terror last year. How about you let me go shoot a movie on them? And, and Roger said, all right, sounds good. And then <laughs> I'll, they went yeah, I'll give you $5. He's like, that sounds cost-effective. movie called Forbidden World. Yeah. Roger, Roger Corman should have just had a button on his desk that he could hit it and it would just go, all right, sounds good. <laughs> Thumbs uh, up. Just <laughs> move on. <laughs> uh, I love Roger. So, Noah, what did you think of this movie? Uh, I like it a lot. It falls into the the weird spot. So whenever you do sci-fi horror, mm-hmm. it's I, I feel like it's it's an actual rare and beautiful thing for to both do sci-fi good and horror good. Mm-hmm. And, like, this film does horror good and doesn't do sci-fi good. <laughs> it's <a laughs> sci-fi bad. No. Bad sci-fi. <laughs> Yeah, this isn't really a sci-fi movie. It's more of a we're going to use science fiction as a way to get these people into a horrific situation. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Alien. Alien's a good example. Sci-fi good, horror good. Yeah. (laughs) I love how they're all sitting around the dining table while they're going through hyperspace. Like, clearly, the seatbelt you're wearing is is sufficient for you to, to be traveling at, you know, light speed. And, and Robert Englund's seatbelt is a woman's arms. It's like those old 80s commercials. Well, I'll be your safety seat. <laughs> what, about, what about the opening scene of the movie when she's like, I'm going to take off. And they're like, nobody's in their seats yet. Don't care. I'm taking off anyway. And they all have to run to their seats. Like, Aren't you uh, going on a rescue mission? Should you be killing people during the takeoff for your rescue? Speaking, <laughs> speaking of her, that is uh, Grace. Is it Zabriskie? I think is how you say her last name. And and she's had a very long and successful career. And mostly in her later years, she plays like crazy Alzheimer women. Yeah. It's like her job was, with her with her crazy eyes. I was gonna say she had an illustrious career that ended in nineteen eighty one with Galaxy <laughs> of Air. <laughs> <laughs> but uh I I can't remember the last time I saw something in which she was young in it, and even then she looks like an Alzheimer'y old lady with crazy <laughs> eyes. Like, she's wow. had the crazy face her whole life. She's yeah. staring down at you from heaven with those googly eyes. And she's mad. <laughs> Apparently, she's in that Polaroid movie that's coming out, and I'm going to guarantee you she's an Alzheimer'y old lady in that. Yeah, she I also uh, she was in the show Big Love. If any of you watched it, and she played uh, uh, the main character's mom. Mm. 
I just think that it, it's interesting that Aaron Moran, who's Joni from the Happy Days, and uh, and the old guy who was in like Batteries Not Included and shit. I think it's weird yeah. that they're in the movie. Totally out of place. <laughs> yeah. bat- batteries Not Included is such the better reference. I was going to say the uh, old corporate dude from Biodome that owns the Biodome. <laughs> is that what he was in? <laughs> you can be a I'm pretty sure it wasn't. Was he the one who was also in Dream a Little Dream? Or was uh, that Jason Robards? This is Jason Robards. And this guy wasn't even in uh, Batteries Not Included. Well, but you know what I'm talking about. He looks like the guys from Cocoon. Oh, totally. You know, there's like that it's, group of like 80s, like grandparent actors that were in everything yeah. like Jessica Tandy. Well, this is Ray Walston. He was in, uh, he was on uh, Lost in Space back in the day. Ah, yeah. And the Stand miniseries. Oh, and we should also say Robert England crushes it, as usual. <laughs> of course, it's Robert England. That's great. That scene where Robert, where there's two Robert Englands fighting each other, yeah. that's amazing. I'm like, the special effects work, the performance works. I'm like, that's so fun to watch. Oh, and I'm just like, there's Robert two Robert Englands. Like, why, why don't we have a world with two Robert Englands? That's way better. Like, don't <laughs> hurt each other. You guys should team up. I, oh, I feel like that's a thing that doesn't come up often enough. You know, Robert England has been in, uh, we'll, we'll say a handful of not good movies. Like <laughs> over the years, sure, dude, dude, just due to the nature of the trajectory of his career. Mm-hmm. But Robert England is a fucking amazing actor in oh, yeah. in front of a director who actually knows what he's doing. Mm. Well, and, and and Ray Walston, getting back to him, I mean, I'm looking at his IMDb, and I never watched the show, but I know my favorite Martian was a real big deal on TV back mm-hmm. in the sixties. But I totally forgot. He was Mr. Hand in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yeah, sure and that's was. the same area. I kept waiting for him to yell at somebody for having a pizza delivered to the spaceship in the middle of the ship. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. He also played Big Sam in 1997's critically acclaimed Tricks. Ex-showgirl and part-time hooker Rogers loses her legitimate job at a casino because of her abusive trick. She gets revenge when she is blacklisted and her son is threatened. <laughs> that sounds like a real winner. Stars I kind of want to see it. Yeah, I was going to say, we may do that on the show. Yes. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds like a movie that we would do. Thank, thank God it came out before 2000, so we get to cover it. <laughs> <laughs> Um. Yeah, I don't know. Does anybody else have anything to say about this movie? <laughs> did we, I mean, did we mention the? Did we fun. mention the scene of the the chick that's inside the air duct that basically gets like uh, uh, ripped apart by the the cables? Because yep. that's, that's Aaron Moran. That shit's crazy. Yeah. Like to, to see to see fucking Ron Howard's sister from Happy Days get her face ripped off by some weird ass tentacle things in an air duct. I was yeah. like, dude, this is crazy. And I forgot about that. I haven't seen Galaxy of Terror in a couple of years now. So I was like, whoa, fuck, I forgot it was that gory right there. Oh, yeah. Did it, did we mention that the whole movie revolves around weird red-faced space Jesus playing a computer <laughs> game against an old woman? Did we bring that up? <laughs> that was Ray Walston the whole time, that right. devious bastard. 
<laughs> somehow, somehow I left that out of my plot description earlier because <laughs> I didn't know how to fucking say that. Like, yeah. I don't know. The explanation at the end of the movie is, oh yeah, this giant place that just killed all your friends. This is actually a child's toy that's just yeah. designed for testing your fear. But because you solved the ancient child's toy, now you become the space Jesus. <laughs> Hooray for space, Jesus. Yeah. I didn't think any of that mattered. I didn't really listen to that dialogue. I was, at that point, I'm just like, anything that anybody says is not relevant in this movie. That's not why we're here. <laughs> well, just, they kept, I guess, I guess that, that position's called the master, and I kept waiting for show enough to show up and challenge him. <laughs> uh, uh. So, Tony, since you've worked on a lot of special effects. What did you think of the special effects in this movie? Well, for 1981, I, I don't think it was very bad. And and obviously you've got someone like James Cameron handling, you know, some of the visual effects and some of the second unit directing, which was a lot of that, um, that, you know, stop motion stuff and whatnot. So I think that it's, it's definitely, got a um an air of professionalism to it and at that point roger corman had been making monster movies for 30 years so Mm -hmm. you know if there's one thing roger corman knew it's how to stretch a budget for a monster movie um and and i i really don't think they did a terrible job with a lot of the sets i think the spaceship you know you when when they zoom when they kind of like show the the more establishing shot of the cockpit where the the lady and the older guy you know are are flying the plane but then behind them and up in a little alcove is the cute blonde and robert england it's like wow you know there's actually some some scope to this which is kind of cool um they they put a little bit effort into designing these handful of rooms that they're going to use for this um but in terms of the practical effects work yeah I, i think the gore is pretty good Again, that scene with Aaron Moran is real violent and really gory. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's all basic work that, you know, was was really prevalent in horror movies back in 81. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's cool for what it is, I think. And, yeah. and you guys said it earlier, the Sid Haig stuff was pretty cool when he, you know, it like gets into his arm and starts working its way under his skin. It was yeah. pretty gross. That stuff's awesome. And the giant rape worm. The giant rapeworm was nice and slimy. I mean, they, they covered him with a shit ton of KY jelly. <laughs> it sure did. That's, Jesus. It's, it's hard to know because most of us don't eat giant rapeworms in our day-to-day life. So it's like, does that look realistic? I don't know. <laughs> if you're never sure, just add more KY. It'll be all right. Pretty much. But you see a giant rape maggot like, what, two or three times a year? <laughs> I heard they were extinct. Oh, goddamn global warming. <laughs> they're, they're like the Sela camp. They're just waiting for you to go on vacation <laughs> off the, the coast of South America. Yeah. So what do we say recommend? I, I, I think, you know, it was a lot easier to recommend Spider Baby because it's free on Amazon. So if you've got Prime, just go and watch it because it's not costing you anything except for about 90 minutes of your life but Mm -hmm. galaxy of terror is a good movie if you like cheesy 80s horror films and are willing to sit through 90 minutes of absurdity because that's pretty much (laughs) what it is yeah 
it's a it's a cheesy cheesy 80s horror movie but between all the kills it's a cheesy 70s sci-fi movie <laughs> that's actually a really good description of this movie <laughs> i have this some bitch on blu-ray it's fantastic there you go i had to rent it <laughs> Because I, I have it somewhere on a hard drive, and I probably even have it on a DVD. But after I moved, all my shits everywhere, and I was just like, you know what? I looked everywhere. I thought maybe it was on Amazon Prime or something. And I just finally said, "Fuck it," and rented it for like three ninety nine. Yeah. So right now, Roger Corman just made like fifteen cents. Thanks, He's like, I'm gonna make I'm gonna make five more movies with this. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Mm. Catering budget on Death Race 4,932. <laughs> <laughs> so I, re- I really need him to make another Death Race movie. <laughs> and bring back Stallone's character. Yeah. Uh, Say Stallone is loving reviving his old characters right now. I don't see any reason why he wouldn't want to bring that one back. There you go. First Rocky, then Rambo, then whatever that weird gangster from Death Race was. <laughs> well, and he's talking about redoing Cobra, too, which would be a dream come true for me, of course. Mm. These, these been... two didn't like Cobra. Well, that's because they're dumb. I think I think we enjoyed Cobra. You I guys just... bitching about it. Mm. Although we did we did team it up with Commando, so you guys were comparing yeah. Cobra to Commando, which is that's just part, that's, that's rough. That, that's a rough comparison. Commando's amazing. Anything to Commando is hard. I I just I don't know how you can sit and say that you own Galaxy of Terror on Blu-ray, but then say that you didn't love Cobra. I mean, hey, I own Cobra on Blu-ray too. So, oh, that's sexy, Brian. That is real <laughs> sexy. I have it on Blu-ray too. We could watch it one time and talk to each other on the phone while it's playing in the background. Uh, that's adorable. It'll be like a it'd be like a date, like a movie date, but not because we're not in the same room together. <laughs> Just both of you wearing matching snuggies. Ooh, I cobra snuggies. Cobra snuggies. Cobra yeah. snuggies. Well, yeah. Okay, cutting thin crust pizza with a pair of scissors. Hell yeah! You got it. Cleaning a gun while eating pizza that you cut with scissors. That's wa- the cobra way. And warm coors. Warm coors. <laughs> See? That's where the movie lost me. Nobody drinks it warm. That's disgusting. <laughs> yeah, but he also didn't shop there, so what did he care? <laughs> I'm telling you guys, of all the things I always stick in my – every time I think of Cobra, all I can think of is Pepsi product placement because Jesus fuck. <laughs> I've never seen product placement where the entire shot is like a Pepsi machine with the main character like leaning against it while it's spinning. You know, Pepsi, Pepsi, Pepsi. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, if I was Sylvester Stallone and Pepsi Cola was willing to give me $5 million to feature their products in 20 different shots of my movie, I would do it in a heartbeat. I just want to know which. At this point, I can't convince Gus's Diner to sponsor my <laughs> catering for a day with 13 <laughs> pies for dessert. <laughs> now, which, which scissor manufacturer? convinced him to add the scene where he cuts the because <laughs> that doesn't come naturally to anybody I don't know, I don't know. I'll, 
I'll tell you what, though, if you find a pair of scissors that can effectively cut pizza, that's a good pair of scissors. I don't think it was <laughs> a scissors piece of pizza. I, I think it was Cobra that was able to cut the pizza with anything he wants. Cobra could have cut the pizza with his glasses if he wanted to. He could have stared at it and it would have cut itself. Cobra. Cobra. And I love how that shot in Cobra, not that this is like the biggest tangent in the world at this point, no, but I love the, the part the part in Cobra when like he's talking to the dude that's like in his parking spot and he like rips the dude's like tank top, his undershirt, and you can see his lav mic. <laughs> Either that or he's undercover for the FBI. It's like, oh shit, my wire. That was a planned spinoff movie that they never made. It just... <laughs> Cobra and Chico. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Sasani, what have you watched recently you, you would love to share with everybody? Uh, well, Meredith and I just watched the new Child's Play, and then we watched the original Child's Play the other night. Yeah. Um... The new one is interesting. It's like there there are some moments in it that I was like really fucking creeped out. I was like, if that doll was in my room staring at me and from the corner with those glowing eyes, I'd be really scared. Like really fucking scared. And then Hi buddy. Yeah, right? <laughs> and Mark Hamill's voice was great. Um but but like the ending was terrible. It was way too blown out of proportion. Um, and, and Meredith brought up a lot of really good points. Like, she's like, I don't like that it can walk and stuff like that. She's like, one of the things I loved about the original was that Chucky wasn't able to move. And then when he does move, you're like, holy shit, that's fucked up. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and that was really kind of cool. And uh, so, you know, there there were things like that that I liked about it and things like that that I didn't like about it. Seeing the original one again was cool because I haven't seen that in probably 20 years at least. Um, and that's one of the first horror films I saw as a kid that was not a black and white classic. So it was really cool going back and kind of revisiting the original, um, which is a good movie. I mean, I don't remember it being all that amazing, but I liked it. And mm-hmm. and watching it again, I was like, yeah, this really actually holds up. Um, first, the first two are both really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get into, you know, I think I, I told my fiance, I was like, yeah, this is the remake is technically number eight, I think. And uh, and she's like, Jesus, really? And I, I just I haven't seen Cult, but I really liked Curse of Chucky with Fiona Doris. Yeah. yeah. That one was creepy, too. Um, but otherwise, yeah, you could take the rest of the series or leave it. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, yeah, we've been watching Cult's, American Horror uh, Story. Yeah, cult, cult's pretty good. I enjoyed it. Um, it does have some more goofy moments, which sort of makes you roll your eyes. Like, don't please don't go back to like see uh, to Chucky type stuff. But right, yeah. but it doesn't ever get anywhere near that though. No, no, I no. Thought, no. I, th- I think no, if you I, liked Curse, you'll like Cult. 
That's yeah. my take. Yeah, it's a direct sequel. Okay. So, okay, then yeah, I'll have to check it out. I know it's on Netflix. I just I haven't gotten around to it because I'm not a big doll like killer doll fan. I think that mm. um, I think that like. I'm not intimidated by a doll. So the fact that, that they make it a killer, it's like, that's not scary to me at all. They do Um, an interesting twist on it. And I think it maybe makes it a little bit more creepy. Okay. Well, I'll have to check it out. It's on Netflix. So why not? And uh, make sure you watch after the credits too. Okay. Um, obviously I went, saw it too in the, in the Mm -hmm. theater. Um, you know, a lot of people said they liked it. Like Jason was really happy with it and I didn't like it at all. I actually thought it was not good at all. Um, mm-hmm. there were a couple of moments in it that I was, that I was cool with, but overall, um, I love the thing reference. I, I liked that there was some stuff in this version that was not in the miniseries from 1990. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, and I just finished rereading the book, like, two weeks before I went and saw the movie. So it was neat to be able to see what they translated and what they didn't translate. But yeah, there was just a lot of stuff I really didn't care for in the sequel. Um, you did, you didn't like them, uh, uh, beating the clown by clown shaming it. Yeah, that was kind of <laughs> stupid. Um, I'm still, I, I'm still not a fan of the new Pennywise. I think Tim Curry was infinitely creepier and more menacing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean the the scene with the it's little Tim, girl going it's Tim under. Curry though. Well, so. yeah, totally, totally. But but like so many people rave about the new performance of Pennywise. I'm just like, I get that maybe you don't realize that there was a movie 25 <laughs> years ago that did the same thing only better because you know you're a millennial and you don't understand that life existed pre 2004. But like the original one just. As much as it was made for TV, so they could only do so much, they had to pull their punches. Because imagine if the original one was like fucking Friday Thirteenth Part Six, then it'd be amazing, you know. Um, mm. But there was stuff I liked in the new one. I liked how they did the whole that that whole scene at the beginning, um, which we walked in on because uh, we we fucking line at the concession stand was a pain in the ass. Um, we went on a five dollar Tuesday, and it was like. We walked in as he was killing the guy who went to the county fair, you know, and was mm-hmm. for the dairy fair. I thought that was kind of cool. I liked the, the girl, the death of the little girl underneath the bleachers was kind of neat. Um, but otherwise, I didn't really care about it. And um, i trying to think of what else. I, I'm almost done. I got 15 more pages left on The Outsider. Oh, yeah. Brian. That that book is cool. It's, it's, not, yeah. it's not my favorite king, but I definitely agree with you. I like that... It's it's modern. He talks about cell phones and iPads and and you know Doctor Phil, but it's still Stephen King. You know, yeah, it feels a lot like older King books, which is his best stuff. So, yeah. So I, I did that before that. After I finished reading it, I read um, In the Flesh, which is that Clive Barker um, short story collection that has the. The Candyman story in it, which mm-hmm. was um, interesting to see how that's different from the film. Um, so that was pretty good. You know, I, I didn't care much for some of the stories in there. There's four of them, but the Candyman one was cool. Um, otherwise, I've seen a bunch of other horror movies, but clearly most of them are not memorable enough for me to bring them up right now. <laughs> um, but I'm excited because I just got a, I got a handful of uh, 
screener links for movies from Nightmares Film Festival because I'm going to do a write-up for those. I know I got Daniel Isn't Real, which is by Spectre Vision, you know, Elijah Wood's Mm -hmm. company that did Mandy. and So I'm excited to check that out. And I got Scare Package, which is Aaron Kuntz's movie. Um, God, and they they released the poster today. Have you guys seen the poster for Scare Package? The poster's fantastic. The poster is, is, it's like, it's like you took my favorite aspects of posters like House and Return of the Living Dead and you like fucking gave me a wet dream with the VHS tapes. <laughs> and it's and, and then Mark also released another poster for that other dude's movie, um, like Don't Go in the House or something the mm. other day. Have you seen that one? No. Oh my god, dude. That dude's Mark Schoenbach's movie posters are literally some of the coolest movie posters I've ever seen. Hmm. you'll have to check that one out. I think it's called yeah. Don't Go in the House. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to checking those out. And uh, I, I finally got to see Red Clark's Gray Matter. We did that, you know, with Brian's short film. Those were two of the shorts that mm-hmm. screened at the Midway Drive-In event a couple weeks back. And uh, really have been wanting to see Red Clark's short film Gray Matter, which is based off the Stephen King short from Night Shift. Um, and that was really cool. It stars Larry Fessenden and Aaron Christensen. Um, it's all practical effects work, and it's got some really awesome stuff in it. Um, so I'm glad I finally got to see that. Uh, um, weirdly enough, they used the same story for the first episode of Creep Show. Oh, they did that for a Creep Show. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Why don't you give me your shutter login so I can borrow it? <laughs> <laughs> you and Noah. There you go. No, you don't have to. It's okay. I, I can pay no, the full buck. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. I, I Yeah, off the top of my head, I can't really think of anything else worth mentioning right now, so I'll just leave it at the head and you guys can keep talking. Would you? Uh, what did you watch, Noah? Uh, I watched a few things. I finished up uh, Dark Crystal uh, Age of Resistance. Mm-hmm. It was good. They, they tied that shit together real nice. I was uh, I was worried at first that they weren't going to that they were just going to break the shit out of the canon from the the original film because mm-hmm. it sure seemed that way at the beginning, but by the by the end they kind of managed to like weave everything back together and make it all make sense. Hmm. Sweet, it's on my list. I haven't watched it yet. It's uh, it's mind-bogglingly well put together. I mean. They had to use some CGI just because that's that's the world we live in now. But I I admire them and their dedication to using practical stuff is absolutely as much as they could. Sweet. Uh, so that so that one's a big recommend. Uh, then I rewatched Deadpool the other day. Uh, I I got to admit. It was a little bit less funny this time. I don't like that. Well, <laughs> comedy is always less funny if you've seen it before. Right? Well, I don't see. I don't know if that's necessarily true because there's still a lot of older funny movies that I can watch them over and over again. And it seems like they're just as funny. Yeah. And, well, I guess Deadpool specifically, though, uses a lot of shock humor, right? So, yeah, I suppose so. Because I know whenever it first came out, I watched it several times, and I was having a good time every time I watched it. And this time, I was like, mm, "That wore off a little bit." So I don't, 
That doesn't bode well. That that either means that it's not going to hold up, or that I just need to give it more time before rewatching it again. Hmm. Uh, and then I watched The Princess Bride because it was on. <laughs> and, and that's what you do when it's on. Yeah. yeah. If if I am scrolling through anything and it is a thing I could watch, that's the thing I watch because. Uh, you just do. I don't. <laughs> I don't know how you don't do that. It's pretty much a law. Yeah. Uh, guess what? It's still fucking awesome. <laughs> oh, oh, that one holds up. Yeah. <laughs> we were all we were all on the edge of our seats to see if you right. stole the Princess Bride. Uh, <laughs> and and then I sat down and I watched uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Eight. Oh, why would you pick that one? Yeah, I, you know what? I'm going to tell you guys the truth. I went to my box set. <laughs> I reached to that shelf and oh. I pulled out eight to watch it. <laughs> and dare fuck you. anyone that says otherwise. <laughs> Ugh. I sad, like I? eight and I hate everyone for hating it. <laughs> they, they spend two seconds in New York. Can you at least just acknowledge that it's bad and that you like it anyway? Can you do that thing? Because for once, I want to hear you say that. Normally, I get pissed off when you say it, but this time I need it. I will I will admit that parts of it are bad. What about the fact that in order for the plot to make any sense... I said parts of it Jason, are bad. Jason has to drive a boat down a non-existent river from Crystal Lake to the ocean. Is that problematic for you at all? Listen, he was a camper and he couldn't swim. He probably knows how to drive a boat. <laughs> I just want to see Jason take Washington, D.C. Imagine Jason Voorhees in the Oval Office. You, oh, you, know what the, you know what the fucked up thing about that is? I would totally be down with that, especially if it was like a Guar movie. <laughs> just Guar gets back into filmmaking all of a sudden. <laughs> Uh, oh, you guys are still talking about movies? I thought you were just discussing who you wanted to vote for in the next election. You're like, yeah, that's what we got. Odorous <laughs> was still alive. I would vote Odorous. <clears throat> good Lord. So eight, really. It's good. Oh, Jesus. It's not <laughs> good. Shut, shut, shut your holes. Um, listen, I'm not saying it's the best of the series. I'm just saying I enjoy it every time I watch it. All right. So which is your favorite, then, of the series? That's really fucking hard. Come on. But but we've all been asked that question enough times, said you should have one right off the top of your head. I, I would say it's, a, it's a, probably a toss-up between one and six. Okay. Hmm. What about yours, Tony? Uh, I'd say four and six. Mm. Doug? Uh, it used to be seven because I think that's where Jason looks the best, but I think now yeah. it's probably it's either four or two. Mm. Ooh, tater, tater sack, Jason. <laughs> yeah. Uh, mine would be four. Yeah, four is like I think for, like, if you had to like break it down objectively, four is probably the best. Mm. It has like actual good acting and there's plot to it and the kills are good and all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. and Crispin Glover's in it which what else do you need 
<laughs> I feel like you're pointing out a lot of technicalities. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. Put <laughs> oh, that your little how computer do you need to bring our suits. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, we me and Tony and a bunch of friends of ours rented a bunch of cabins at this campground. And then we watched all the nightmare movies or all the Friday movies. And then they had a uh which I did not participate. They had a was it a dead fuck dance off? Yeah, dead fuck dance off. It was <laughs> Andrew versus Brian Brian Depperding. <laughs> uh and then John great. and then John was going to participate. John Pato was going to participate. But all he did instead was walk out with no clothes on, wrapped in a blanket. And he proceeded to do the Buffalo Bill Q Lazarus dance to Goodbye yeah. Horses. It was real and creepy. And he said, would you dead fuck me? I'd dead fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, God damn it, Pata. Put a sock over your junk at least. You, you know, everybody has those those random celebrity encounters and stuff. And for some reason in my head, Crispin Glover's fucking weird enough that he mm-hmm. would just pop into that cabin and be like, hey, guys, what are you doing? And they just leave. No explanation. No conversation. He's like, he's like, your 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 event, courtesy of Indie Horror TV, just so happened to pop up in my SEO for Friday the 13th. So guess what? I decided to give you a fun surprise. I, I, I feel like I feel like you guys are in, infringing on me. <laughs> And guess what? I brought I brought my my most recent films, Willard, and uh, I thought we could also watch the music video I created, the one that I talked about on the David Letterman show when I was on acid. <laughs> uh, I miss you, crazy we, Crispin Glover. Please come back. I need to watch some Willard. I need to watch some Back to the Future. Jesus, Meredith and I just watched uh, Howard the Duck. You know, I've never seen that movie. Fuck yeah. <laughs> I've never seen that movie. Oh, and no. Wow. Dude. I own that of right, too. That movie is fat shit. That movie is <laughs> fucking fat shit. Yeah, she has sex with a duck. Yeah. I was getting ready, I was getting ready to say the duck. They get interrupted. You you said bat shit, but I do believe the the expletive you're looking for is duck tits. It's a, it's a duck tits movie. Yes, there are there are duck tits in that movie. Um and, and Marty McFly's mother has sex with a duck. It's weird. <laughs> so weird. Mm. Tell, tell tell the truth though. It's really fucking fun. It's it, it really isn't. I mean, like, I've kind of had this I, I've kind of had this whole like this, this for the last month, I'd say month and a half. We've been going back and watching a lot of old movies like we watched One Crazy Summer and Summer School and Secret Admirer. And I've been watching all the Indiana Jones again, which I haven't seen Indiana Jones in like probably 20 years. And mm. God damn, those movies are so good. Yeah, and, are. you know, First, it's like you, the, the the three of them, yes, because yes. there is the no first, fourth. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm glad they only made three. Yeah, I'm glad yeah. they never made a fourth one. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you know, just you, you go from watching Rares of the Lost Ark to Howard the Duck, and you say, "Okay, George, 
where'd you go wrong, George? <laughs> you know, you're on your high horse because you got Star Wars, you got Indiana Jones, you got your two franchises that are like these immovable staples in Hollywood history. You are a billionaire now, and you decide to go and make Howard the fucking guy. <laughs> How guys, weird. You want to hear something fucked up? I think right now, if I had the choice between watching an Indiana Jones movie and Howard the Duck, I'm watching Howard the Duck. <laughs> you would. Yeah, that's because you're weird. Yeah. <laughs> I Listen, I really, really fucking like that movie. I get, I get why people hate it. I get it. But... I, th- that movie is fucking endlessly entertaining. Trust me, my fiance would agree with you. If I had, if if she had the choice between Temple of Doom and Howard the Duck, she would pick Howard the Duck. I get it. But then again, she's also a real big fan of Night of the Comet, so that says yeah, something about yeah. a person. Uh, you don't like Night of the Comet? I do like Night of the Comet, um, but Night of the Comet is not considered one of my faves by far because. Mm. It's a great idea that could have been done so much better. But it does include an amazing performance by Generic Estrada. <laughs> that the dude in that mo- in that movie looks just like Eric Estrada, but he's generic Estrada. <laughs> and I like that. Are you, talking, are you talking about Chakotay? <laughs> yeah. Whoever whoever the dude is that that the the sister that was in that's not Alexandra Paul. That's the that's the one who was in Baywatch and Christine. What's mm. she from? What's what's the the chick oh. who's in Night of the Comet from? Not the blonde. Uh, let me pull it up. Which, yeah, by the way, I need to say something because this is this is actually going full circle back to High and the Hog and Sid Egg. It's uh, Catherine Mary sister. Stewart. What? Yeah, Catherine yeah. Mary Stewart. Yeah. And what was she from? Uh, she is known for Last Starfighter, Weekend of Burnies, yes. Yes. The Apple, Last Starfighter. Yeah, that's the one. But so going full circle, and it sucks because Meredith, my fiance, is such a big fan of Night of the Comet. I'm mad that I didn't realize it at the High and the Hog premiere in L.A. The blonde sister from Night of the Comet was there, and I didn't yeah. even re- like I met her and everything, and she's like, "Oh yeah, I'm an actress." I didn't even realize she was fucking. The chick from Night of the Comet. I, I would have been like, dude. Yeah, Kelly Maroney. Yeah, she was at the High and the Hog premiere. I'm like, God damn it, I didn't even realize it. <laughs> Tony's the worst at schmoozing. I'm not even remotely a fan. <laughs> Although, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm clearly a fan of The Shining because, so we're in our hotel room and, I, and I'm like my mother. I packed like disposable, I'm like your wife, Brian. I packed mm-hmm. disposable plates and paper towels and I looked across the room and I got the roll of paper towels up on the countertop and I shit you not the pattern on the paper towels is the carpeting from the shining hallway <laughs> nice I mean, it's not it's not obviously colored orange and black and brown but it's like the diamond kind of hexagon pattern yeah wow I've got shining paper <laughs> towels that's awesome Bounty oh. must have made a deal with Stephen King he's like he is a marketing <laughs> genius <laughs> That's it's more like of a Kubrick Spaceballs. thing, but it's like Spaceballs. It's like it's like <laughs> we've got Salem's lots of toilet paper. <laughs> Wipe your well, ass with Barstow's face. Well, if you want to talk about The Shining, I actually went and saw that in the theater on Tuesday. Ooh, nice. Yes. Uh, it was labeled as a 4K presentation, 
I don't know what they projected it in, but it definitely was not 4K. That sucks. Yeah. So that was a bummer, but, you know, it's The Shining. The Shining is still fucking rad. So rad. Uh, Don't you have an Easter egg for The Shining in uh, one of your movies? Yeah, in the rake, um, the there's some like sliding glass doors that go from the living room of the house out to the deck, like the screened-in porch. And next to those sliding doors are these two big windows. And I wanted, you know, when we were doing the production design, I wanted to cover those windows with like a wooden pattern. So I had an artist friend of mine carve out the maze, the hedge maze from The Shining. And that pattern is what is covering those two windows, these big, you know, eight foot by four foot panels. There were two of them, one on either side of the sliding doors. Um, Because the rake is very much my my homage, my homage, my homage (laughs) to to The Shining and Alien. But um, uh, yeah, seeing I I also love how in The Outsider, I love when Stephen King um, has the one person talking about how they're a big fan of Kubrick. And they did not like The Shining or um, the other. I forgot the other one that they mentioned. I thought that was a really funny little stab for Stephen King. <laughs> not like Stephen King needs to be bitter about anything. He, right. He's made probably $200 million in the last two years based off of all these remakes that are coming out. I love, I, I love Stephen King to death. But it's pretty obvious that whenever it comes to film, I don't I don't think he knows his ass from all the craft. Not at all. But it's like he's you kidding me. He directed Maximum every- Overdrive. Come on. But <laughs> he, he directed <laughs> Maximum Overdrive after talking about how bad the Shining movie was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I just I, I think it's funny that like all these people I remember back when like when when the first it came out, like you know what what was that two years ago now i remember everybody was like well stephen king loves it so it's got to be good and it's like are you fucking mental (laughs) stephen king is 75 years old and he knows that if he tells the world because he's got a million followers on instagram if he tells the world that his new movie is good everybody and their mother's gonna go see it and he's gonna make 20 percent for doing nothing but say (laughs) go see my movie bravo you know how to market it yeah, he's not good. He's not good about promoting his adaptations because the, most of the time they don't turn out very well. I was going to say, I bet if you look up his quotes for the release of the Langoliers, he's talking about how good the Langoliers <laughs> He's definitely spoken very highly of the Shining miniseries, the remake one. Mm. And it's like, uh, I don't well, know if you guys have sat that through version? that. I think so, yeah. Yeah, I thought he wrote it. And it's not, it is mm. not good. No, no. Yeah. Not at all. I have a DVD. I would argue it's not terrible, but you have to compare it to the Kubrick version. (laughs) Just once again, that's not not a good comparison to ever have to do. What is, in your guys' opinions, the worst Stephen King movie adaptation ever? Mm. Or it can also be a sequel or a prequel or a derivative. What is the worst that you can think of? Well, we'd have to exclude the Children of the Corn movies because, I mean, obviously that's it's living in forty of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a hard question. Cause there's so many. Yeah, Pet Cemetery Two. Sometimes they come back. 
Oh, I like sometimes I like they come sometimes back. They come back. I, I, like I liked it when I saw it. It's been a long time. Yeah. Tommy Knockers was pretty abysmal. Yeah, it was not good. If if we're if we're counting things that are derivatives, trucks. <laughs> trucks is pretty bad. Uh, can I say the last season of the Dead Zone TV show? Ooh, ooh! Yes. They deep. slashed that budget to the bone. Deep, deep cut. <laughs> deep cut is, USA is, is Nosferatu good? Is uh, is Hills Hills show? Uh, it's good. I feel like it's a little slow to start, but since I read the book, I kind of knew where it was going, so I was okay with it. But it does pick up. And are you a fan of Castle Rock? I am, and I'm excited for season two. Yeah, I mean, I guess you're the biggest King fan I know, so that makes sense. Well, the trailer looks good. They're doing uh, Annie Wilkes is going to be in this season. Yeah, I heard that. uh, And uh, What's-Her-Face is playing her. Uh, Fuck. The fuck is her name? She's in Mean Girls. Um, 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 Andy Moore. (laughs) No, hold She's on. not in Mean Girls. I don't know. <laughs> Fucking Lindsay Lohan. Playing uh, Annie Wilkes. Lizzie Kaplan. She's playing She's playing Annie Wilkes. And in the trailer, you can tell that she purposefully picked up some of Kathy Bates' uh, quirks from the movie. It just added it into her performance. And nice. yeah, I'm excited for it. Um, I just want to see Kathy Bates play both Annie Wilkes and Dolores Claiborne <laughs> and have them interact in the same scene together. Oh, it's time to bring back the Versus movies? So it's right? mi- Misery versus Dolores Claiborne? Like Celebrity Deathmatch, only they're not made out of clay. <laughs> you get, get that sweet technology that let us see Robert England versus Robert England. We already know they can do it on film if they need to. There you go. I... I'm not sure how much money I would pay to see Kathy Bates fist fight Kathy Bates. <laughs> but it's, a, it's a lot of fucking money. It's, it's not zero. I know that. I know it's a higher number than that before I tap out. It's a lot. I feel like it's an upsetting amount. I think it's an amount that my my loving other half that is in the other room would be angry at me for spending that kind of money. <laughs> I'll pirate it on my iPhone and send you a copy. <laughs> uh, fantastic. Uh, Doug, did you watch anything? Uh, a couple things. Um, I finally got around to watching Mad Men from 1982. Mm-hmm. It was just a slasher movie. Yeah. The plot is the plot of every slasher movie. It's a bunch of people in the woods. They get hear a story about a guy that's a... Uh, kills people in the woods if you misbehave oh Batman Mars yeah they misbehave anyway and then they get killed and I'm a sucker for slashers I really enjoyed it the killer's good the kills are fun there's no relevant plot or anything there's a bunch of people who I think are supposed to be like camp counselors but they're all in their late 20s which means that they're they're either the worst camp counselors in the world who who are in their late 20s and still doing that for a living or they're uh, you know the best and they just keep hiring them back on season after season I don't know but yeah lots of of good kills 
I wish that they would have killed off the, the, the Magnum P.I. wannabe who's trying to have the threesome with the Gwyneth Paltrow chick and the other dude, the other chick. You know, he's like singing that stupid song about Madman Marth around the around the campfire. And I'm just like, dude, shut the fuck up and get a spear in the head already. Yeah, why, do you need, why do you want that guy killed off? You Who else is going to provide musical interludes? He's so sleazy. musical interlude in a horror movie. <laughs> yeah, he's so sleazy. The song is annoying. Um, but whatever. Lots of other, lots of other people get killed. That one guy gets hung. I thought that was fun. You know. Well, it's it's an interesting thing because like the uh, the axe murderer seems like such a fucking trope in horror movies. But if you really stop and think about it, there isn't a whole lot of horror movies that are just a straight up axe murderer guy. Yeah. It's kind of unusual to see that. What I found really interesting is I started reading up on this movie and I realized, like, the plot of this and the burning and, like, Friday the 13th Part 2 is almost exactly the same, basically. Mm. And they all came out in the same year. So they weren't ripping each other off. They were just all independently making this exact same plot, (laughs) which is kind of funny to me. Like this one in Friday too, specifically, it's like they both open with like the campfire scene of them just basically giving you a plot description of what's going on so that they don't have to do any other exposition throughout the rest of the movie. <laughs> what else you got? Um, I, don't know, I rewatched 13 Ghosts from mm-hmm. 2000 or whatever because uh, I couldn't remember if I liked it or not. That's got uh, that's got my boy in it. Matthew boy, Willard? <laughs> Matthew Lillard. Yeah. Well, and and uh, what's his face? Uh, uh, the dude who plays Monk. Tony Shalhoub? Tony Shalhoub. Those are your boys? Yeah. <laughs> All right. You're correct. It has them in it. To, it's like, come on, uh, boys. We're going out to the club to get some tail. And you're walking with Monk and Matthew Lillard. <laughs> Listen, Ma- Matthew Lillard's into some super nerdy ass shit. And I respect people for that. <laughs> Right. And Tony Shalhoub's just a good actor. Hey, Tony Shalhoub. I'm not saying you should. It's just a weird, a weird, like, these are my boys. It's like, that's a weird arrangement of people. And nobody has ever said that before, I think is the point we're trying to make. They seem like the type of guys that would hang out and watch Howard the Duck with me. <laughs> Matthew Lillard, yes. Tony Shalhoub, I don't know. Maybe. He's like, Jeffrey Jones is in this movie. I'm not watching it. Anyways, don't watch 13 Ghosts. It's not a good movie. Aww. That's that's the conclusion. All the all the ghosts look great. Yeah. But the movie itself is just kind of dumb. There's a couple of there's a couple of good kills in it. There's the one that I could remember, which is where there's like sliding glass doors that cut a dude in half. Yeah. And I was I was worried that would look bad because it'd be early 2000s CGI, and it it actually holds up pretty well. I was happy to watch that. Nice. But the problem the problem is all the talking and acting and nonsense that goes on around <laughs> it. To give you an indication of the quality of the film, there's a guy who gets killed early on, and then later his ghost shows up. But then it turns out he's not a ghost; it's just the guy that's still alive. But his throat is slit from is in the opening scene and he's still all covered in the blood so we're just meant to believe that he just never changed his shirt after faking his own death like he's just been walking <laughs> it's like that's that 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 just seems like a very cheap trick to pull on your audience and it bothered me so hmm. yeah i again google the uh 
the pictures of the ghosts or maybe even find YouTube clips where you get to see them attacking and they're pretty cool, intimidating, but they don't do anything interesting. So I saw a meme going around on Facebook suggesting that Netflix should do a 13 ghosts as a series and each episode is about one of the ghosts. See, that's what this movie was missing was mm-hmm. some stories about the ghosts. Like, the whole like the basic plot of the movie is that this guy was collecting all these ghosts. He's gonna stick them all in some machine, and it's gonna give him superpowers or whatever, right? Um, I, I go, I was I was bored enough that I didn't bother to remember what the machine's gonna do for him by the time they get around to explaining it. But it's like, so that's the whole thing. But it's like the ghosts have to be interesting, and they look cool, and they're. Like, they're scary looking and stuff. And I'm like, okay, but now they need to do something interesting or we need to get out. And we're told that he had to collect these specific ghosts. And it's like, okay, well, then give us the backstory of some of the, at least these ghosts to that so that we can be interested in them, but we're not. So we're just left with, like, Matthew Lillard and Shannon Elizabeth and Monk running around this house with cool glass walls. And you're like, all right. I, I, that's not a, enough for a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Shan Elizabeth boobies make an appearance? I don't remember. No. Boring. <laughs> so, yeah, it's and it's one of those movies Brian, too, you're like, a <laughs> Damn straight. Yeah, it's it's one of those movies too where they show up at the at the house and there's like glass walls with writing on it. And then later they tell us that that writing is like magic spells to control the ghosts and it's like, yeah, yeah, I know. I fucking knew that when they showed up at a glass house with writing all over the walls. You don't need to give me that dialogue. Don't act like that's a revelation. Like, nobody's watching this as their first ever horror movie. It's fine. We all know. <laughs> Poor Doug. So, anyways, I was pretty frustrated to watch that. But, I don't know. Anyways. Uh, the only uh, the other thing I watched, I, I did rewatch a movie that I actually like, which is Bram Stoker's Dracula from 92. Mm-hmm. And I just, that's because we talked about Gary Oldman last week, and I, I wanted to watch his performance in this movie again because I hadn't seen it in a while. And his performance is great, even though the movie is a little over-stylized and not all of the performances are great. But I, uh, You're yeah, talking I, about Keanu, aren't you? I was trying not to mention Keanu by name because I don't believe it's his <laughs> fault that he's bad in this movie. <laughs> I love Keanu. I, I'm I'm a fan, and honestly, like in this movie, like the style of acting that they're doing, he's just not equipped for it at all, and he should never have been cast in a movie if this is the kind. Like, it's this big overly theatrical movie with these like big bombastic characters, and it's like that's not what Keanu Reeves can do. He could do lots of good things in movies. It's just that's not. He should never have been put in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like me, you know, you, I don't. You've got, I don't think. What's that? I was gonna say I don't need. I don't know if Winona Ryder is appropriately casted either. But her role is secondary, right? When she's on screen, she's enamored with Gary Oldman's character, and we are all watching him as well, so we don't really notice it with her. Because you've got like you've got Gary Oldman doing his his version of Dracula, which is crazy, and then you've got this weird eccentric version of Van Helsing being played by uh, Anthony Hopkins which is just nuts. And then you've got all these other actors just trying to keep up, quite frankly. And some of them are capable of it. Some of them just don't, just can't. And that's I not, love that movie. 
Such yeah. a good movie. Like it's it's I think it's pretty faithful to the book. I haven't read the book in a long time now. It's pretty faithful to the book. It a lot of the visuals are great. They do get caught up in it a little and every now and again they do something visually where you're like you're just showing off and it's like distracting. But the one that always gets to me is the scene where they're for some reason the one shot of him walking through downtown London is done in like that old timey footage. And it's like that's not necessary and not relevant to the movie and it's kind of pulling me out of it and reminding me that I'm watching a movie but it, so many of the other ones are good it yeah, does like, go I was going to say it does an amazing job of walking a line that I don't think many other vampire movies can do and that's doing romantic vampires without them being weird sexy vampires yeah because he's hmm. he is like seducing Winona Ryder's character throughout much of the movie but he's still a scary and intimidating force when he wants to be, which is a very difficult line to walk. Yeah, there's just so much cool stuff in that. I mean, the the shot when the the um, the wagon driver like reaches for Keanu and like the camera moves with the reach and his arm extends yeah. like 15 feet, like just the way they did that stuff. Or there's that one sequence when I think it's when Keanu's shaving and and Gary Oldman comes into the room and in order to make the room shrink, they physically, you can see the wall moving in the background and closing in on them to shrink this, the overall scale of the room. And just these little details like that, that they put into it are so fucking cool. It's such a great movie. Yeah. The one thing I noticed is there's a couple of scenes where Dracula's shadow is not where it ought to be based on where he is. And it's what I noticed is in the moments leading up to that, the shadow is already a little off. So it kind of gets your mind looking at the shadow in certain ways where you're just like, oh, yeah, okay, so now I'm paying attention to that right when they want me to be, which is perfect. Uh, And there's just great moments like that. And again, Gary Oldman's performance, because it could be ridiculous. If he's, if you had just a lesser actor doing the things he does in this movie, it would be ridiculous, but it's not because it's him. So, yeah. So yeah, I, I, anyways, I really liked that movie. It held up really well. I hadn't seen it in a long time. I'm super glad I watched it. Hmm. Next question. I haven't watched it in a long time. Did you immediately watch Dracula Dead and Loving It afterwards? <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> or Dracula not. 3000. I was going to say, because I cannot watch one and not watch the other. Or uh, Argento's Dracula 3D. I did not watch any of those. I did stare at my copy of Dracula 2000 for a while and debate watching that. <laughs> so I might have that to talk about next week because I... Now I think I have to watch it. <laughs> I liked that movie when it came out, and I and I did buy the DVD when it first got released. But I have to say that I don't think that that has left the DVD box since I purchased it. I don't think there was any rewatchability there. <laughs> I, I rewatched it definitely when the sequels came out, which I actually have to say I enjoyed. I think they just called it Dracula Two, even though it's the sequel to Dracula Two Thousand. Because Dracula 2002 sounds too weird even for independent filmmakers. <laughs> hmm. Did you watch anything else? Uh, 
Well, the last thing I watched was the new episode of Creep Show. Have you seen it yet? Oh, yeah, I watched that today as well. Yeah, I, would, it's, I think it's going to be my new thing. I managed to watch it right before we record, so. <laughs> um, I wasn't as big of a fan of it as I was last week's episode. Oh, I don't know if I was or wasn't. I I like, okay, so the first story is Nazis fighting werewolves, which when you say that out loud, I immediately, my hopes get so high that I just don't think there's any way to tell a story that would make <laughs> up for it. I'm just like, oh my god, that's the best idea ever. And, and, and not only werewolves fighting Nazis, but werewolf werewolves fighting Nazis led by Nazi Jeffrey Combs. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> that just got so much better. <laughs> it's... <laughs> It really, it, it really sets itself such a high bar that it's like it couldn't possibly live up to it. It was good, but I think I think I was just too excited going into that. Just seeing, just even like the poster art they released of just mm. the werewolf sneaking up on the zombie in like a one of those gas masks. I'm like, or zombie Nazi, sorry. And uh, uh, yeah, so I enjoyed it, but it it felt like that that almost needed to be a movie, not a short. Like you needed. Mm more of that yeah and then the the second story which is just fucking weird i have to say i really <laughs> enjoyed it um it is the guy just, it's just a, it's just about a guy for people who haven't seen it, it's about a guy who finds a a finger on the road and that finger gradually grows up into a little monster thing that starts doing his bidding and it's super fucking weird and trippy and i really really enjoyed it so I don't know I, I just love that little monster thing and the fact that he named it Bob was just perfect I'm just like what a great just what a great name for this weird little monster that grew in your freezer <laughs> yeah of the two that's the one I did enjoy the most it does seem to be the formula now is where they do one that's a little more serious and bloodier and then the second one is the more fun one hmm that's what they did the last well, at least these two weeks. And, yeah. But I'm glad. I'm glad they're making that show. I'm glad for shut that shutter exists so we can watch that. <laughs> uh, anything else? Uh, that's it for me. What about you? Uh, I watched a couple things. Uh, we talked about The Shining already. Uh, I watched A Vigilante, that movie with Olivia Wilde. I think you right. talked about it before. Yeah, I really liked it. What did you think? Um, I liked all the stuff with her getting even with people. All the stuff with her and her husband that kind of it's not a big fan of. Um, okay. Which, unfortunately, is like half the movie, so that means I didn't like half the movie. Um, but Olivia Wilde's really good in it. I was kind of surprised. I didn't realize she would, I don't know, have that kind of performance in her. I guess yeah, I'm only used to seeing her in like uh, comedies and stuff. So, yeah, she's she's excellent in the in the role. Mm -hmm. It is I can understand what you're saying. I think my favorite stuff was more the her going after the the sort of vignettes of her going after these individual yeah. guys as opposed to yeah. her backstory. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the stuff I really liked. Um, can't move. Uh, let's see. Then I watched uh, A Walk Amongst the Tombstones with Liam Neeson. It's okay. uh, Liam Neeson beating up a bunch of people. Uh, it's interesting to find that uh, this is this is based on a book series, 
that uh, they made a movie about the same character in the 80s with Jeff Bridges playing the role called uh, Eight Million Ways to Die. And so now Liam Neeson's playing the character. And the, I mean, they're not really related. It's just same character, different adaptations. And he's sort of like a private investigator that uh, sort of does stuff on the lowdown for, for people. And this guy who is a known drug dealer gets a hold of him because his wife was kidnapped and, you know, they wanted the ransom. So he paid the ransom and then they killed her anyway. So he kind of wants to know who it is. So he hires Liam Neeson to find out. And, of course, a bunch of crazy shit happens and people get shot and everything goes bananas. So it was pretty good. I mean, if you're into Liam Neeson killing people, it's a Liam Neeson movie where he kills people. So worth a watch, I guess. And you just saw the new Rambo, right? What did you think of that? Well, that was my next one. We talked about it a little bit last week. Um, yeah, I went and saw Rambo Last Blood. And uh, we're going to break it down a little bit more this week. Um, I thought it was okay. There was stuff I enjoyed, but there was other stuff. Like, I explained it because me and my friend went and saw it. And I explained it to him. I'm like, the script is horrible. The plot is not great. But when people start getting their faces ripped off, it's fucking awesome. Yep. <laughs> it's a Rambo movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but like I thought the plot to the to the last Rambo movie to the fourth one, I thought that plot was great. Mm -hmm. I really yeah. liked that movie. Yeah, I had no problem with the plot in that movie. It's just this one was kind of uh, exactly what you would expect from like if this movie was not called Rambo, and you started watching it, you'd be like, "Oh, I know exactly what's going to happen for this, the entire rest of this movie." Yeah. And, you know, sometimes that's fine. Sometimes it's not. But, you know, I just feel like they could have done a little bit more with it. But, you know, it's a Rambo movie. Yeah. I can't be too upset. But that last, like, half hour where he's just Oh, that's the best part, yeah. It, it is just... it Because, like, yeah, like, I'll fully admit, it's, it wasn't my favorite movie going in to that last half hour. But it's so good when he's just killing the fuck out of that, like, gang that he's just lured back to his layer mm -hmm. yeah it's somebody said it should have been called Rambo Home Alone because yep. that's essentially <laughs> what it is he gets uh, so this girl that calls him uncle but they're not really it's that whole it, stuff's complicated it, that they don't explain they, they did not bother to explain the relationship between Rambo and the rest of the family that lives on his own ranch no <laughs> they're like nah we don't need to explain that it's not important um so she ends up getting kidnapped down to Mexico. So he goes up down to Mexico to, to get her, and then he gets beat the fuck up. And then it's like, ah, oh, shit. So at least he wasn't like a superhero right off the bat, which I at least enjoyed that. Um, and then, uh, yeah, he finagles a way to get, get her back and then uh, lure all these people back to his farm that he is then booby-trapped to completely destroy, like, this entire, like, uh, mob. And that stuff is fantastic. Because he's got these tunnels that he's built under his farmland. So they come after him, and he just goes out of the tunnels, 
they go in after him, and then he just destroys everybody, which is fantastic. Cool. I'm excited to see it. I I I love the Rambo movies, and I love Stallone, so I really want to check it out. Yeah. Just go in with uh, low expectations, and I think you'll be okay. Yeah. Just just go in and keep in mind you're seeing Rambo two or Rambo three. That's the that's the kind of movie you're seeing. That's fine with me. Rambo two is fucking amazing, and yeah. Rambo three is pretty awesome too. So there you go, right? Like that's that's what you're going in for. You're not, you know. Yeah, you're not does like for... drug cartel have a Russian hind helicopter? No, there's no helicopters no. in the entire movie, which is a little disappointing. Well, yeah. But his use of a bow and arrow is fantastic in the last scene of this movie. Sweet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like like we said, last half hour, amazing. The the plot and the acting and the script leading up to it, uh, not exceptional. So. Not so, not terrible though, right? I mean, if this was. I think it's being the movie is being held to a higher standard because it's a Rambo movie. If this was anything mm-hmm. else, like if this was a random Liam Neeson movie that had that same plot, it's acceptable. Yeah, probably. There's just yeah, there's just weird stuff you kind of have to just it's, let your mind explain away and then yeah, deal with it. Oh, it's, and, I mean, at this point, Rambo has successfully killed 500 people and managed not to die or get seriously injured. So, as far as I'm concerned, my suspension of disbelief is firmly, <laughs> firmly built already. Yeah. Well, uh, and we, and let's put it this way, though. Tony already said that he really likes Temple of Doom, so we know he'll be a fan of this movie. <laughs> I don't. Uh, Temple of Doom is my least favorite of the original. Three. Oh, that's problematic. Because, yeah. well, uh, but even still, I love Rambo. So I'm going to because there's a major that. plot. There's a major plot coincidence that goes on between both those two movies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Rambo rips somebody's beating heart out. That's sweet. <laughs> and he has say, a pit of molten uh, fire underneath uh, his farm. Let's just say you're, you're going to be walking out of the theater going, Kalima! Kalima! <laughs> cool. <laughs> so it's like a drug cartel that practices voodoo rituals. I like that. Uh, it's it's nothing nearly that complicated. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Uh, so literally, it's funny because none of us have discussed what we're doing next week. So I guess if you want to know, you're going to have to go to the Facebook group and look at the uh, coming soon little image I'm going to throw up. It'll be reposted to the Instagram as well. Yeah. So oh, so yeah. we don't we don't know. We haven't picked movies yet. Wait. Wait, Munchie Schoolies called it. It's too late. No, no, you do no, it. It's not, it's not it. your turn to pick. It is not it your turn to know. pick. No one spoke. It's not your turn to pick. It's October. They have to be horror movies. Those are horror movies. <laughs> Those are not yes, horror Christ. movies. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> this is what is Noah See, this is what Tony was trying to avoid with your nonsense, Noah. <laughs> what does Noah want to watch? Ghoulies? Munchies, Munchies, and Ghoulies. I mean, Ghoulies is good. I haven't seen Munchies, so I don't know what that is. That's, I mean, uh, I know what it is, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll figure it out. So, Tony, if people want to figure out how to buy your movies and stuff, which they should, where should they go on the Internet? Thanks, Brian. Um, they can go to scotchworthy.com. Uh, that's like a bottle of scotch and worthy, like we are not worthy, which you've probably heard me say it that way a million times now. <laughs> Only a million and one. Only a million and one. Hey, we've been friends for like 12 years, dude. You got to get used to it. 
Um, so yeah, scotchworthy.com. We've got a store on there. I think I might throw an October like sale up there or something. I just haven't gotten around to doing it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm at Cinema Wasteland in Cleveland or Strongsville, Ohio this weekend. So if you're in the general vicinity, you should probably come over and hang out. Not only do you get to hang out with me and check out some of my cool films, but uh, Cinema Wasteland is a pretty badass convention to be a part of. And uh, uh, Cinema Wasteland is a badass convention. The problem is this will go up Sunday night, so you have missed it. Ah, shit balls. <laughs> <laughs> shit balls. Um, but but yeah, next year, so they'll probably do it again next year. They do one every I'm six months. Be, I'll, I'll be at the Chicago Days of the Dead. I won't be there the whole weekend, and I don't know if we're going to have a vendor table. Um, I, I work my overnight job that whole weekend, so mm-hmm. I'll be working midnight to noon and then going to the convention for a while. And, of course, this is, of course, now the first year that it's in Rosemont instead of Schaumburg. And I literally live like two minutes from where it was in Schaumburg. So, um, but I will be there. I'm, I'm talking to Brooklyn about doing another no bullshit, uh, filmmaker round table, which I did in Vegas. And it was a really, a really successful moment and a lot of fun where, you know, anybody who wants to be a part of it can sit down and it's not just me doing a panel where people are asking me questions. I'm kind of leading it. But it's a roundtable discussion where everybody's able to kind of impart their wisdom and their experiences. And we all kind of just talk about making movies at the independent level. Um, so I kind of want to try and do that and maybe be on another panel while I'm there. And uh, so we'll be around um, at, at that. And that's in November in Rosemont, mm-hmm. Illinois. Otherwise, uh, yeah, go to scotchworthy.com and you can find our trailers for Skeletons on the cl- in the Closet. Uh, and the rake um, and high on the hog on YouTube. Uh, you can watch Skeletons in the Closet and uh, the rake for free if you have Amazon Prime. But, you know, I get that you're cheap, but spending the $20 or 25 bucks to support independent artists such as myself would be much appreciated. So go to scotchworthy.com and pick up a copy and I'll autograph it and I'll send it to you in a padded envelope and then you can put it on your shelf forever. <laughs> and will it to your kids when you pass away and they'll throw it away because they don't want your old shit please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater and now folks it's time to say good night we sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.